Hi, this is Audacious Living with Leah Jean. I wanted to talk today about self-abandonment and when we neglect ourselves um, and others or our business or um, what have you, um, or parts of our business or parts of our relationship or parts of the relationship with ourselves, how much that is always going to lead to crisis. Uh, same thing with if a family is neglecting a family member or an issue that needs to be addressed, there's going to be some type of crisis. So crisis is always used. It's kind of like a symptom, um, if you if you will, to kind of examine what are we neglecting or what have we neglected and what have we self-abandoned within ourselves. Now, a lot of us wonder where did self-abandonment originate and it actually um, is kind of learned behavior from uh, childhood and uh, for many of us. Uh, many of us learned, uh, you know, a long time ago to self-abandon uh, for other people. And so, especially being, you know, raised as a, uh, as a little girl in America, um, a lot of times little girls have gotten the message to be a good girl, it means... Um, to give up your needs. And the more you give up your needs and please everybody else, um, you know, the better of a girl you are, you're going to get the gold star. (laughs) And so we kind of train girls to self-neglect themselves early on and call that a badge of honor. Um, Now the, um, interesting enough, um, you know, as we, get older, um, you know, this can turn into an addiction of people pleasing and codependency uh, that turns pretty toxic on us. So that, you know, original, just a nice girl mentality kind of turns on us as we get older. And so I want to talk about that today. And I want to talk about how, um, you know, really, it does take a lot of going back to kind of um, our early, early development and kind of the kind of speaking to that younger part of ourselves and kind of go back and get the parts that, you know, we kind of missed. Um, So interesting enough, I I have a quite a few of um, pretty, pretty messed up relationships that were pretty toxic for me to kind of get the message to start uh, caring about me. Um, So it's kind of like I went through these relationships where I was used a lot, um, taken advantage of, and my vulnerabilities were used against me. And um, so, you know, I couldn't understand why this kept happening to me until I kind of got the message is that I had no concept of how to meet my own needs and I had no concept of putting me first. Um, and so these, the universe, God, um, will always bring kind of the, the life situation to you for the lesson that you need to learn to make a better version of yourself. And so sometimes it does mean that we have to go through these difficult, toxic relationships to truly start to uh, change the way we relate to ourselves. Uh, not so much to others, but more how we are relating to ourselves. And the more we relate to ourselves differently, then others are going to reflect that back to us and they will they will then uh, 
you know, dance with us differently. So in a sense, us changing ourselves will reflect backwards, outwards, and hopefully people will change how they are relating to us. Um, Now, a lot of the times, of course, when we go through this journey, uh, the people that are used to kind of uh, using your kindness against you, they're not going to like it when you finally start putting some of those boundaries in place and saying, uh, we're doing this differently. I'm starting to take care of me now, or I'm putting me number one, and I'm not putting anybody else number one. And it's it takes actually a lot of work, and it makes us feel that we're we're almost betraying other people. So it kind of, it's weird. It's like we're working on loving ourselves, but it creates a lot of toxic guilt because it feels like we're hurting other people in doing the self-love work that we kind of need to do. Um, So I just want to give every woman permission to kind of embrace that and kind of beware of that when you're going through this journey of learning self you respect um, back to self and and bringing love back to yourself. So uh, this last year, I did get into Tai Chi, and I, I really uh, started to love the concept because, you know, so much of us, you know, we pour energy out, we work, we serve. I mean, most of us are in service type atmospheres where we're pouring so much into other people's needs, and we're self-abandoning almost, you know, on every level. Um, you know, kind of repeatedly. And so the the Tai Chi, uh, the whole concept is actually to bring energy back to self. And, you know, I couldn't, I, you know, I would hear counselors tell me that yeah, you're not valuing yourself, or you're not respecting. I couldn't understand, well, how do I, how do I find that balance? And so Tai Chi for me really did help kind of get back to that, um, yeah, centered place of you know, getting your, your, um, you know, putting the energy back to you. And, you know, I really do believe that it's important that we teach women and men how to meet their own needs. Um, because I think that that is something that we don't really learn in childhood and nobody really talks about because we kind of aren't given, uh, emotional tools a lot of times in childhood and when, when we're younger, I'm, sh- you know, I, I think schools are starting to finally catch on that we're missing that piece to society. And, um, I think it's really important, but you know, yeah, it's important that we learn at a young age to, to do that. And, um, and if you haven't, then it's, it's, you know, it's always your chance to go back to do it now. But when, again, I wanted to go back to neglect and, um, you know, what happens, you know, when we're neglecting and why do we abandon ourselves? I think the biggest reason for me anyway of why I abandon self is a lot of times I actually feel like I'm going to be hurting somebody else to meet my own needs. So, or if I do well in life, it's going to hurt somebody else. Uh, So I had a lot of guilt associated with success. um, And I had a lot of feeling I would leave somebody behind. Uh, Making money and, you know, becoming successful is no fun if you can't take the people that you love with you. And so for me, it was, it was very much, you know, um, I kind of felt a little guilty, you know, because um, sometimes, you know, I was lucky. I did find, um, I, I kind of got into a business at kind of an early age, uh, started uh, my 
small company, it's just a, you know, wedding company, uh, pretty young. Um, but I, um, which I'm very thankful for, but I didn't realize how much, you know, guilt actually, the more I built it and the bigger I got things that I actually started to have to deal with. I also had some guilt too, because not going to lie, after going through my divorce, I got kind of financially behind in my business. And so I started feeling guilty, uh, kind of taking money, you know, for the next wedding, if I still didn't have the old wedding paid for. And so I was dealing with a lot of toxic guilt and kind of a lot of overload. I felt very, um, you know, at that time that I just couldn't do it all. And it made me give the message to my brain, you're inadequate, which is interesting because that was very much a belief I had when I was in childhood was I carried this, this belief that I was inadequate. And so I want to talk about that too, when we kind of carry all of these negative takes of when we were younger of inadequacy, or maybe we felt powerless when we were younger. Um, maybe we felt overpowered, especially, you know, I was the youngest. So a lot of the times I felt overpowered in my family. I felt dominated over, I felt kind of like my needs did not matter compared to others. And, um, I felt sometimes neglected, misunderstood, uh, misrepresented. And so there was a lot of, of, um, you know, things looking back that I kind of had to realize, wow, I'm recreating that in my reality today. Like that powerlessness, I was recreating it. Um, And I do believe God will kind of keep having you create this feeling of powerlessness or inadequacy or this unworthiness because it's wanting you to go back to fix that original wound. So it really is kind of going back and digging deep and kind of saying, where did we learn this? And I definitely have avoidant issues to life. It's kind of, I I love pleasure. So I like when things go well. I don't really love when things go wrong. Um, (laughs) And I, I would much rather go on that 10 mile walk or have that glass of wine than sit and deal with like, you know, the negative, uh, taxes that are in front of me. So it's, it's easy for me to be like, I'm going to put that to the side. And a lot of times when people have gone through trauma, you know, we kind of stuff it away. We can kind of compartmentalize it and put it over here. And then that ends up building to a monster later. And then we're back into the overwhelm and we're back into the, the, to the dysfunction and we're back into the original story. So the more you catch on to like, Oh, I'm back in the original story. I need to kind of shift this. I need to change my mindset. I need to kind of speak to that little girl in me. The more you can kind of come out of this stuff. Um, and of course, it does take going to counseling and what have you. Um, and a lot of times, too, we learned avoidant issues because our own parents had some avoidant issues. And, you know, I think my, I look at my mom and it's funny, the older I get, the more I understand that, you know, as a child, sometimes we think that can be cold or they're being aloof, but really they're just avoiding situations that maybe they don't know how to handle. Uh, so their way of dealing with it is just to avoid the situation. And, you know, I've done that a lot in my whole, my whole entire life is I've kind of uh, rejected the parts of me that were 
were not um, pleasing because I did grow up where there was like a lot of perfectionism. And so we didn't really want to talk about the parts that were dysfunctional. Nobody really wants to talk that to talk about that part. But the more I, you know, you go to any 12-step program or anything like that, the first thing they're going to tell you is, you know, to embrace the imperfection and to kind of really get back into, you know, yeah, you're not perfect. And let's, let's kind of embrace the parts that are dysfunctional inside of you. So it's kind of like the shadow work or stepping into the shadow of your soul and kind of pulling that out and saying, wow, I'm going to kind of like, like look at that differently and look at it more loving and not so so harsh where I have to reject it. So if we're rejecting part of ourselves, um, which so often we learn to do in childhood, then we're still rejecting ourselves as an adult, which will turn into self-abandonment. And it's so much easier for us to focus on somebody else instead of our own lives, which is also a form of self-abandonment. And that's what most codependents do. Most codependents are great at focusing on somebody else. In fact, there are, I really do believe this, there are some parents that'll actually create a child to somewhat be sick just for the fact that they will have something else to focus on outside of themselves. So it's kind of crazy um, how much we, some of us are, you know, love to self-abandon because we don't know how to actually, uh, you know, look at ourselves. We don't know how to take care of ourselves. We don't know how to do self-love. We only know how to love outwards. We only know how to. So those are people that, that really do not know how to receive. And so what I mean by we don't know how to receive is means that we don't know how to receive love inward. Like we know how to give it out, but we do not know how to accept it for ourselves. And that is because Typically, the old tape was that you are unworthy and you are unlovable. And it's not until you go back and you tell yourself, wait, that's a lie. Because if you were born here, you were, you were. And so it's kind of, sometimes we just had parents that, you know, weren't in tune to us or they were rejecting or, or critical and um, or maybe they were absent or maybe it was perceived rejection a lot of times parents just are going on like a business trip and as a little child you don't understand and at that time you're in a vulnerable place but they're still leaving and so you take it as oh there's something wrong with me you know there's all sorts of reasons why a child will kind of develop this false belief that they're not lovable and they'll reject parts of themselves early on so I want to talk about how we can go back grab those parts of us and bring it forward. And so, you know, I like to say, what are you rejecting in your life? You know, what dreams have you given up on? Uh, what, what parts of you have you given up on and what parts are you missing in your life so that you can kind of tap into that and be a little bit more loving to yourself and not so hard and critical because a lot of times you know the reason sometimes our parents are being critical of us is because they're actually being self-critical to themselves so they're projecting that criticism onto us because they have their own self-critical tape going on and then we take that as ours and it's kind of like you know take the jacket off and say wait a minute what if we all kind of had a little bit more compassion to where each other is at and what if we kind of talked about some of these things instead of running away from it and rejecting it 
Um, you know, and I think that's the thing with me that um, sometimes I think I can make my family feel uncomfortable about. I've always been the type of person when there's a lot of dysfunction, I kind of call it out, like to put it on the table. And I'm like, what the heck? What's going on here? And I, you know, and a lot of my family likes to avoid, they like to pretend everything's great and they like to have like, you know, we're the perfect family and you know it's great and all and sometimes we are that perfect family sometimes we are there's so much that's amazing about my family but there's a big chunk that's actually really dysfunctional and uh, nobody really wants to even address some of those things and so that's kind of what I want to go with on on today is just like you know look at yourself look at where you're rejecting and uh, where you're self-abandoning, where you're self-neglecting, and how can you meet your own needs today? So, you know, if you felt that you, you didn't do that, like, class that you wanted to do when you were in fifth grade, then you know what? If you're 35 years old today and you just feel like you've got three kids and, you know, you've got a husband and you're neglecting yourself, then go take that class that you wanted to take in fifth grade. It's not too late. You have an hour a week to you. Dedicate it. It's, it's perfect, you know, to five minutes of your day. Just give it to, back to yourself because I got to tell you, you're going to actually help everyone around you and you're going to help mirror, help other people. You're going to give other people the permission to do that for themselves as well. So, you're helping yourself, you're helping other people, the more you take care of yourself. All right, have a great day. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is a podcast uh, I started called Audacious Living. I actually am doing it while I'm driving. I figured sometimes it's easier to kind of speak to this to take some of the anxiety away as if you were in my car with me. So here we go. It's kind of unedited. I don't even know if anybody's going to care what I have to say, but I just felt like the last few years I've learned some things about myself and felt like I should at least kind of talk about it. Um, So I want to talk about how a lot of times our brains will kind of create crisis or our reality will create crisis or uh, sometimes crisis happens in our life and how we can actually use it as a catalyst to bring a lot of healthy change in our life and we can use it uh, to our benefit um, in some pretty powerful ways. So um, a few years ago, I went through a pretty horrific divorce. Um, most people know that are close to me know my story um, and I learned some really valuable lessons in that I learned some of my own stuff that you know I really didn't want to look at didn't even know was there uh, first of all uh, some dysfunction that was in my my own life and also within my family um, and uh, within there so I, I do believe that you know every person uh, can teach you good and bad and it's kind of taking on the parts of that person that you don't want to uh, have in your life so you can learn just as much on that side of it um, that okay that's dysfunction that I do not want in my life Um, and so sometimes we're brought into relationships or families to realize what we don't want but we can also take the parts of that family that we really did admire there's so much about my ex-husband's family that I really valued and admired and fell in love with and that was what I fell in love with from the beginning with them And so it's not to dismiss everything about them, but it is to say the parts that uh, did show up for me that didn't sit well with me. 
Um, and so of what I wouldn't want to carry on in my own family if I have one one day, if I choose to. Uh, I personally have chosen the last few years to develop myself I've chosen deliberately to not be in a relationship, uh, partly because I still feel like I am working on some of the unresolved issues I have. I did get wounded a lot by men, so I feel at this point it would be irresponsible of me to get in a relationship until I've dealt with some of the um, subconscious, uh, you know, feelings I have um, with not feeling 100% safe with men. So I am working with that. I'm working on that. I do therapy and I'm first to say women, if you have anger towards men, you have no right being in a relationship with them with one and you should do the, be doing the work every single day to kind of resolve that so that when you do get into a relationship, you can relate to this person a lot healthier. Um, but uh, going back to what I was originally talking about, which is uh, kind of like a crisis and how it relates to personal life and business. Um, when I got out of my divorce, I read this book called The Big Leap, and I swear that book has changed my life, and it really is kind of what really forced me into dig deep into therapy because I did realize this pattern within me is that I would only allow myself to get to a certain level of success before I would sabotage it. Um, and I didn't know why I would do this. Um, and it kind of was becoming this like repeated dysfunction um, that I knew there was a pattern that was not working well in my life. And I didn't know why. And I started to dig deep and I brought myself into uh, lots of therapy and uh, dealing. I, I try to do coaching when I can. But basically, uh, the book, it talks about uh, our upper limit and how we have to kind of shed the old version of ourselves before we can step into the new version of ourselves. So it's kind of like a snake needing to shed its skin. And in order to kind of become the new version, we have to deal with all the old programming and all of the old negative tapes that we carry. So a lot of times as children, we took on the belief that maybe we were inadequate. Uh, maybe we took on the message that we were not worthy. Maybe we took the message that we weren't good enough, lovable. Um, or maybe we felt that we didn't quite fit in. Um, and nobody really talks about that. Sometimes you might not actually feel that some of the family beliefs, maybe they don't 100% resonate with you. And that can start at an early age. I mean, I remember there were certain things that my mom believed when I was younger that I remember then thinking that doesn't really feel right with me. Um, but you know, to, to, uh, to respect my mother, I kind of went along with it. Right. And we all do this until we one day wake up and we say, who do we want to be? And this is part of individualating from our parents, which is a very healthy thing, uh, to kind of question our parents, uh, way of thinking, not to say that their thinking is wrong, but it is to uh, identify our own identities and kind of becoming um, our own person. And that is the part of, uh, that's the beauty in this, it's kind of a gift that parents give us is to let us become who we are and celebrate that. Um, so going back to um, 
some of the things that I, I do think uh, the original stories and how they kind of start and how the crisis a lot of times in our life is because we are not getting our needs met in somewhere and typically the need that we're not getting actually we didn't get it in childhood either and so we have to now go back and reparent ourselves in the areas that were broken for us and this is again not to blame parents I think parents do the best job that they can and with the tools that they were given a lot of times they themselves were not given the best uh version of, you know, self-worth in their own lives. So it's kind of, you know, how do they give you the tools that they didn't get, you know? Um, so it is kind of, we have to look at that and kind of change that within our own lives. Um, so the, um, so the biggest thing is to look at where, what you are neglecting, uh, you know, if you're having a financial crisis in your business, what part of your business are you neglecting? That's typically the part that actually could be the biggest, uh, the biggest avenue to bringing the most positive change to your business if you kind of honed in on the place that you're neglecting. The same thing in your relationship. The part that you are neglecting, what part of that are you neglecting? And then the biggest one is the parts that we neglect in ourselves. So the relationship with ourselves is so important and we have to look at where, what are we neglecting? Are we neglecting sleep? Are we neglecting good nutrition? Are we neglecting healthy relationships? And are we, are we neglecting having healthy boundaries and, and what have you? So it's like, you have to look at all of these things and say, what part of me is being neglected? Where am I neglecting in relationship? Where am I neglecting all over the place, right? And so that is a big reason why crisis happens, I believe. And uh, I think we can use it to kind of examine and and be like the, the um, you know, the, the mystery finder of our, of our own lives and kind of fix it within ourselves. I think we all have the answers in ourselves to kind of bring that stuff forward. Um, the other reason I think that we create crisis is like when we, like a lot of times there is something that is being neglected. Um, and so a lot of times in families, a lot of families can have a lot of the right things, the right elements that a family needs to have, like fortune, they may have, you know, really great entertainment, they might go on like really great adventures, um, but maybe not all of the family members are getting their needs met. Maybe some are getting their needs met and others are being neglected. Um, and so that is where a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, hurt feelings can develop in a family. Uh, there can be a lot of feelings of betrayal because uh, some people are getting their needs met one day and then the other person is feeling neglected. Or maybe one child is feeling loved and then the other is being neglected. So a lot of times this will, this will also create uh, this wounded part in ourselves that we kind of need to go back and examine. Um, and we do this in friendships and what have you. The other reason we create crisis is because we are used to it. Uh, we are, nor we are, we've been in such survival mode and we've been in pain and that's the only thing that we know. And so if we have only 
known a life of struggle and pain, then guess what? We will actually create dysfunction to stay in that because that is what we're used to. We're comfortable there. We're not comfortable in the, uh, we're, we, we have no idea what it feels like to not worry. We have no idea what it feels like to not be in lack. We have no idea what it feels like to be, um, to have our needs met. And in fact, it actually makes us uncomfortable when we are getting our needs met because it makes us feel guilty. There's a part of us that makes us feel unworthy when we're getting our needs met. So we'll actually somewhat reject it. This is why you see a girl that's in a really healthy relationship and she rejects it. It's a lot of times because she didn't feel worthy of the love uh, to begin with. So she'll destroy it. Um, same thing with the man. Uh, there's so many men that cannot accept love. And these are people that can't receive love. Now, there was definitely a time in my life where I totally know, knew how to receive love. and um, But after being very hurt and wounded, my post-traumatic stress kind of, I had some repeated betrayal from close relationships in my life. Uh, some were family members, some were, um, you know, people that some were friends, some were, you know, just I had a lot of repeated betrayal. And when we have a lot of uh, betrayal, then our brain will reject love to stay safe. So it'll kind of shut it off and say, oh, and so it'll actually use anger. Anger is the best tool to avoid love. So if you see somebody who has a lot of anger issues or they're, they're kind of pushing you away, a lot of the times that's their own mechanism of actually trying to stay safe because love has not, uh, love has not felt safe to them for a very long time. So it's kind of uh, trying to stay in that for that person. It's really hard because sometimes you feel like you're getting um, beaten up by that person. And sometimes you do have to step away and let them deal with their own season of life. And let them kind of meet their own needs and their own time and kind of wait for that relationship to come back. And a lot of times it will. And a lot of times uh, people just need that time. And that is uh, sadly what post-traumatic stress does to people. And it's not necessarily this person's trying to deliberately be mean to you. It's that that person has been so hurt and so wounded that they now their defense is against letting love in. So they cannot receive love. Um, and that is the saddest thing. And obviously there will be a ton of crisis that creates in our lives when we cannot receive love. Now I do believe that a lot of women carry this masculine energy of not receiving love. They know how to give love out, but they do not know how to receive. And I also believe men, you know, really have a hard time with receiving. They are really great about meeting other people's needs, but they do not know how to receive their own. In fact, men have a hard time even just asking for directions, uh, let alone let love in. So it's a... It's something that we all actually don't talk enough about is actually letting love in. But when we let love in, that is letting God's abundance in to our life. And a lot of us are totally blocking that. We're not even allowing it to manifest because we're still in that survival flight flight uh, mode of I got to stay safe. And we're trying to control our environment so much that we're missing out of the pie. And I have been, I mean... This has been me the last, I don't know, four years. And I'm slowly working 
I'm slowly putting my guard down and kind of doing this podcast in a way is kind of like, I'm hoping it kind of helps me. The more vulnerable I get, the more open I hopefully will become to receive because I feel like, you know, it's, it's talking about our feelings and a lot of us don't want to talk about the messy parts and a lot of us don't want to talk about the dark parts of us and, and the parts that are broken and, you know, sometimes life will break you and, you know, I definitely have gotten broken and I'm, I'm working on repairing that, but I'm also working on it and looking at it on, wow, how can I take all of this that I have learned and gone through and make it into something beautiful? It doesn't have to be that old story any longer and bring it into the light. So I think that that's really cool and we allow these things to happen. And um, I think it's important that we look at, too, you know, the, the parts in our relationships that aren't working. And, you know, some of us have great, great relationships where we're getting maybe like 70% of our needs met. We're getting the, the adventure, we're getting money, we're getting good sex even. Uh, but maybe we're missing that vulnerability piece to it and that emotional piece. And there's that missing 30%. Well, when we have that missing piece, we're going to create crisis, right? We're going to start fighting. We're going to, you know, whatever. And if we kind of look at it, like looking at every time there is something like that, what are we missing? And then vice versa, there's that couple that is, you know, not, they, they're meeting each other's needs emotionally, but they're lacking the adventure. They're lacking the good sex and they're lacking, um, you know, they're lacking a whole other host of, of things. So it's tapping into that missing, you know, I guess that's what I want to make this podcast about is tapping in to the missing 70, uh, sorry, the missing 30% of your life to meet your needs. So maybe you're getting the 70%, maybe you've got your paycheck, you've got the job that's giving you the paycheck, but it doesn't really fulfill you. Um, or you got the relationship that you're in and, you know, most of your needs are being met, but there's a big chunk that's not. So it's kind of like evaluating all of that and, not to say not to be thankful for where your life is today. I do believe in a lot of gratitude and I believe that it's great to embrace that part and say thank you for everything that you do have. But it is to say like, how can you slowly shift into stepping into these areas that you have neglected in yourself? And a lot of times it's not uh, to blame the per- the other person that's in your relationship. It's not to blame your husband or your spouse or your business partner why you're not getting this certain need. It's to say, where did I neglect that in me? Where did I neglect the parts of me that were adventurous? Where did I neglect the parts of me that, you know, were sexual? Or where did I neglect the parts in me that were... Um, you know, loving or where's the parts of me that I neglected being vulnerable? Where did I stop? What, what day did I stop to, and decided to not be vulnerable anymore and speak my needs? And where did I learn to not speak my needs? A lot of times, you know, we learn that way back to not ask for your needs to be met or we met that we felt that that was weakness to ask for our needs. And when did that start and how do we fix it and turn it around? So it is asking yourself a lot of good questions and kind of doing that inner work. So I hope this helps somebody. 
I don't know if it makes sense. Hopefully I am kind of rambling. It is hot, so I'm going to finally turn on my air conditioning, and I hope this serves somebody out there well. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Hi, thanks for listening. This is our Dash of Living with Leah Jean. I um, started this podcast kind of to help myself kind of process my own journey um, and figured in doing so it may help others. Um, I am doing this unedited. I figured I would do it on my commute to work uh, to alleviate some of the anxiety of doing something like this. I figured if I kind of spoke to my phone as if somebody was in my car, uh, just speaking to a friend, that it it might help uh, ease the burden a little for me. Uh, So today I want to talk about uh, self-abandonment and how that will always uh, lead to some type of crisis in our lives. Um, And Uh, Typically, uh, self-abandonment is what leads us into uh, most levels of failure. And how sometimes, though, uh, if you look at it right, how you can use the self-abandonment and also the failure in your life to kind of reevaluate and see what parts of you you are neglecting. Um, What parts in your business are you neglecting? What parts of your family life are you neglecting um typically when there's a lot of crisis going on it means it equals neglect somewhere on some level of some kind so uh interesting enough i was some of us have grown up in environments where we learn to self-abandon quite a bit to survive um or we we took on the belief that other people's needs were more important than our own. Uh, this, this is a lot of women. A lot of women, we carry this martyr-type complex where uh, everybody else's needs outside of us. To be a good girl, it means that we're meeting everybody else's needs and we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, basically, the more we neglect ourselves, the more of a good girl we are, right? I mean crazy enough we we have like kind of learned this like to be a good girl it means you have to uh, kind of self-abandon yourself Um, and so uh, and this means that we're really good right the 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 gooder you are the more you self-abandon for everybody else the more you sacrifice for everybody else and I want to talk about how that can actually lead to really severe toxic codependency uh, that has uh, been a part of my life's um, kind of journey of needing to kind of break uh, break away from. Um, interesting enough, I kind of have uh, I kind of have two battles going on in my life, and that is the good girl complex. But also, I carry quite a bit of masculine uh, energy, if you will. What do I mean by masculine energy? Uh, is the sense that I have a kind of, um, you know, sometimes I do have, uh, you know, more of a kind of um, leadership, maybe mentality, or 
entrepreneurship uh, that a lot of women uh, don't give themselves permission to step into. But for whatever reason, I kind of was blessed early on to kind of have the courage to create my own business at a fairly young age. So, uh, but with that, you are stepping more into a masculine energy. I also uh, did go through a pretty horrific divorce. And so I was kind of forced into taking a lot of masculine uh, responsibility that, you know, traditionally we may have relied on a man for. Um, But I want to talk about how we get all this like crazy programming being a, a girl, um, and how sometimes that can mess us up. So a lot of times we get the message that, you know, stay small for everybody else to feel good or for the men to feel good. Women need to stay small, right? We need to shrink so the man can feel like a man. And, um, <laughs> this is kind of a subconscious, uh, message And it also is this message of we give women that you can't survive without a man. So a lot of the times when I first left my marriage, I almost felt like I was Frosty the Snowman. Like, and I just like couldn't, even though he really wasn't meeting my needs, but just the fact that I couldn't say I was married and I had a husband anymore, it made me feel like I like melted like a Frosty the Snowman or something that I couldn't hold myself up without this other person. So I kind of uh, did a lot of work. I really wanted to make sure that I was somebody who uh, would be able to feel more confident standing in my own power and not needing to necessarily uh, rely on somebody else to hold me up to feel uh, whole. And so um, it did take a big big undertaking and I'm still not 100% there yet. There are still big parts of me that have a lot of dependency issues and you know I might have that the rest of my life and part of that is accepting that part in me and um, and kind of not being ashamed of that. But I want to talk today about um, a lot of the times why we create uh, a lot of crisis in our life subconsciously and again it does go to neglect. It, It typically means that well, we're neglecting some part of ourselves, And a lot of times it's that we neglected a part of ourselves in childhood. This goes way back. And so I think, you know, a big crisis that really happens in our life, a lot of times it's kind of to go back and get that parts of us that we rejected. Um, so, you know, a lot of us rejected parts of ourselves, um, you know, that brought us shame. Maybe we didn't feel a hundred percent accepted by um, maybe our family of origin, or maybe there was a particular caretaker that we did not feel a hundred percent approved of us. Um, and so we kind of rejected ourselves uh, at that point, and we took on the message that there's something wrong with us or we're defective. Um, maybe we were in school and they gave us the label of having a learning disability, or maybe we were told that there was something physically wrong with us. Like I was diagnosed with asthma at a young age. So I was told I was defective. So we take this message of we're defective, we're inadequate, and it kind of uh, sets us up for a lot of uh, self-hate and um, self-abandonment later on in life. And so uh, 
if we learned too that, you know, we had this learning disability, then we kind of got the message that other people can, you know, other people can only have the nice things in this world. So only people that went to, to really nice colleges can have what you're uh, wanting in life. And so it's not until we kind of question all of that and kind of go back. And so I think a crisis can be really used actually to go back and look at the parts of you that you have rejected or abandoned and um, kind of go back and get it back for yourself. And some of us didn't get our needs met 100% in a certain area uh, from our original caretakers. This is not to shame mom and dad. This is not to say our parents didn't do a good job. A lot of times they themselves didn't get it from their own parents and they passed that wounding on to us and they had us put that little jacket on is, is, you know, kind of our own. And it's not until you say, I'm going to take off the jacket that's been being passed down from generations here, from our grandparents' generation to our parents to now us. And we have a choice. Do we want to keep the jacket on or do we want to take it off? And there's a lot of toxic shame and guilt that gets passed down from generation to generation. And it really isn't until we ourselves want to do the work to kind of untangle some of that. Um, so I do think crisis can be kind of used to uh, reinvent the wheel, kind of. Um, now, a lot of us, uh, I want to talk about, too, that a lot of us in our original environment uh, may have felt powerless. Uh, maybe we had a very dominant um, dominant uh, caretaker, or maybe we had, maybe we were the youngest in a family. And so, uh, sometimes we may have felt ganged up on, or maybe we didn't feel good enough or we felt compared. I mean, that's a big one, right? Felt compared to another sibling or we felt compared, um, to other children. Yeah. You know, so if we, we felt this, then obviously we ourselves are again, going to feel this hidden shame, if you will, of that, you know, we're not good enough and we're not worthy. And these are all subconscious messages that kind of get passed down. And so maybe we had the feeling of like, maybe we felt our parents' pain too. There's some of us that were highly empathetic as children and we felt our parents' pain and we wanted to kind of fix it for them and, and we couldn't. Maybe we had a parent that was alcoholic or I don't know, whatever people have in their own families, everybody's got their own story. And we felt powerless to that situation. Well, if we felt powerless when we were children, nine times out of 10, we're going to create a feeling of powerlessness in our life, again, as we get older as an adult. So we'll create uh, situations repeatedly again and again, where we felt powerless because we haven't resolved that original wounding of feeling powerless when we were children or inadequate when we were children. So we'll kind of recreate it. We'll kind of manifest it, actually. We'll kind of manifest this crisis to do so. Uh, so interesting enough, about five years ago, I went through a pretty horrific um, divorce. Um, I went through a marriage that really took a lot from me. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons in that marriage. And it's kind of where I really started to learn my own dysfunction of that, A, I was uh, in that marriage, I kind of took on a lot of the masculine responsibility. Um, so I, I took on 
too much of the 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 uh, financial uh, decision making. I kind of took on too much of the taking care, and um, I, I really, you know, paid so much attention to my partner's vision for what he wanted. And I kind of neglected what I wanted. I didn't ask myself, what do I want? Instead, I was so focused on making my husband um, happy and satisfied and little to, you know, for whatever reason, I could never satisfy him. Um, And of course, this made me feel, it kind of triggered the original wounding in me of, you know, yeah, like confirming that original belief. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy because I couldn't get this partner to, to see me, love me, hear me, or, uh, to, to see me and see my needs. But at the same token, I really didn't know how to ask them. And then I would get kind of mad at him for him not really even hearing my needs. Right. And so we go through these relationships though is God's kind of way of breaking us open to heal the original trauma or the original tape that we took on as children. And so sometimes we have a parent that may have felt a little distant to us or rejecting, or maybe we felt a critical, maybe we had a parent that we felt was critical of us. And we took on this belief that we were bad. Uh, and we, we, we took on this like, okay, I can't get this person to love me. And we kind of reenacted that uh, through uh, other relationships. And so I want to say today that, that you can kind of go back and reparent yourself and relove yourself. Um, you know, we have these, these hidden wounds and, you know, we can really go back and reparent and fix that if you're open to it. Uh, but you really do have to look at where you're neglecting and you have to use a lot of mirroring work to kind of see where the brokenness started, where you're kind of repeating that same dysfunction or that same story to kind of change the story. Um, and sometimes we had perceived rejection from our parents. Maybe our parents really weren't rejecting us, but they had to go on a business trip and they were busy and they were balancing five different things. And, you know, but when we're little children, we don't really understand that. We just think, Hey, they're not seeing me here. And so we take in this, 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 uh, download of, of that they didn't love us when sometimes that may not be accurate. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Sometimes there are parents that, that don't love their children. Um, and that's something that we don't talk about, you know, but it's, uh, it can be, it can happen. Um, now I want to talk about, you know, our upper limit and, there's a book I read when I got out of my marriage that kind of changed my life. And I highly encourage anybody to read it um, because it is kind of the catalyst that has brought me to kind of help me to really dive in for my own work and own sense of, of trying to repair my own life and and look at things differently. Um, So I did uh, read this book and I talked a lot about your upper limit and the upper limit is Kind of like we'll allow ourselves to be happy to a certain extent before we will destroy it. Or we'll allow ourselves to get to a certain level of success before we'll destroy it because our old programming is holding us back. 
And so if we did not feel lovable, then we're not going to let ourselves go past that upper limit. And so addressing our upper limit issues is kind of what we need to do as entrepreneurs if you're in business or if you're wanting to take your relationship to the next level or if you are wanting to take your own life to the next level you kind of have to address all of your um, upper limit issues Uh, kind of like a snake shedding its skin you kind of have to to do that to kind of step into that new version of yourself Um, Now, I want to talk about how many of us, uh, because we did not get our, we we felt that we are one of our caretakers or sometimes uh, we didn't feel our needs were being heard or we didn't feel our needs were being received, then we kind of cut off that um, that part of ourselves of even asking for help or we felt asking for help meant we were weak in some way. So it triggered this anger in us actually to even need somebody. So we almost got mad at ourselves for even being vulnerable enough to need somebody else. And this is rampant, I think, in men. Um, and it's interesting. I think God kind of allowed me to walk through some of the, like after going through a divorce, I was kind of pushed into a lot of masculine role that society has to face, right? Because I didn't have a partner for quite a few years here and I've been forced into this masculine role. And in a way, I'm kind of happy about that because I really have realized wow, we've put so much expectations on men that are so not fair. And I've kind of uh, been able to tap in a little bit to uh, how men must feel because there's a lot of expectations for men to not show any vulnerability or to not need anybody. And they're supposed to always be the one that has it all together. And God, we're setting them up for such feelings of inadequacy. So first of all, I want to address that. But going back to women, you know, Women, a lot of us kind of have done that too, where we've rejected even needing. And especially if we've gotten hurt and wounded by men, uh, then our brain really has a hard time even trusting men and even allowing men to be there for us. So we'll kind of reject love. And the best way to do that is using anger. So a lot of times our anger is keeping us safe, right? So we'll use meanness or we'll use a fight or we'll use whatever it takes to kind of avoid love. So this is a lot of people who have avoidant issues to intimacy. They will use anger um, to kind of create a divide. Uh, But this is actually interesting enough because they do not trust love because love was not trusting enough when we were younger. Uh, We didn't trust. We we got betrayed. Maybe we got betrayed by a sibling. Maybe we got uh, put down by a sibling. Uh, Maybe we got betrayed from a parent or maybe we felt rejected from a parent. So a number of things can happen. Uh, Maybe we got rejected from kids at school. A lot of things can happen for us to decide to not let love in. Uh, Luckily for me, I do think for most of my life, I was able to let love in. I did go through the last four or five years. I've had a really hard time uh, receiving love and letting love in. I've kind of been allergic to it a little bit myself, uh, partly because I... I did have so many relationships where there was a lot of betrayal and um, a lot of uh, uh, backstabbing. Uh, my 
my marriage kind of spiraled that to waken me up to some of that stuff that was dysfunctional, but I had a lot of betrayal in my marriage as well. And so I've had to deal with a lot of betrayal uh, wounds that my brain still doesn't really feel safe in relationships. And still to this day, it's really hard for me, uh, sadly, uh, to have close relationships with people I do kind of like I'll let myself get close and then I kind of push people away and then I'll let them get close and it's hard for me I, I have a really hard time trusting I am working on it daily um and now I am about to do some EDMR therapy that's like next thing that I'm going to be working on which is supposed to help your brain uh with post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, and I, I just think that that's the biggest thing. Most of us are carrying around complex PTSD, and we still have a lot of flight flight that we don't even know. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about of why we create crisis is a lot of us were blamed in childhood, or we felt, or we felt that uh, things were our fault. And so, if we felt things were our fault, then we'll kind of self-punish ourselves when we become adults. We won't allow ourselves to have the love that we deserve or the career that we deserve or whatever we'll stay working in a job that we hate because in a way it's kind of like we're punishing ourselves um, because we need to stay in that self-punishment cycle because we're used to that we're used to being in the pain and oddly enough we actually bond with other people uh, that kind of are in that same misery right so it's kind of like we bond with the people that are staying in that self-punishment like you know grind, if you will, of lack and not meeting your needs. And so it's really, it's interesting. There's two worlds going on. I really do believe there's people who have mastered meeting their needs. And those are probably the people that are living, you know, the top 10% income earners. They have mastered learning to meet their needs in a lot of ways. Not to say all of them. There's a lot of rich wives I know that did not, they're not getting their needs met. <laughs> you know, they may be financially, but they are not emotionally. Um, you know, same thing. But what I am saying is that, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have learned to, there's people that have, have somehow got the concept of how to meet your needs fully and others that don't. And so I want to use the crisis as our way to examine the 30%, like maybe we've, we're getting our needs met like 70% of the time. We've got the good job. We've got the house. We've got the car. We've got the dog. Maybe we have the kids. Maybe we have the wife, the family, what have you. Um, but maybe we're missing a big 30% or maybe we're missing some old stuff that we didn't get. Like maybe we, we felt like we got married young. We didn't get to to do some of the things that we wanted to do. And so it's like, you can always go back. And that's what I want to give people is that you can always go back and go back and grab that thing that you didn't get when you were a kid. And you can always go back and get that dream that you wanted when you were five or six years old and not forget it and make it happen in your reality today. And it doesn't matter what age you are. You can be 70 years old and you can still make this happen for your life. Um, and I think it's important. Um, the other thing I think that we'll, we'll do a lot of times is when we're not ready for a success, we'll destroy it too. So maybe we're being called, like I know for me, I've always been behind the camera and I know for my career in the next few years, I have felt that, you know, kind of like my inner being is kind of known that I'm going to have to do a lot more behind a camera or maybe a little bit more, you know, speaking to people. And that part of me is really afraid. That part is kind of like, that's too much vulnerability for me. I'm not used to that. And so 
So I sabotaged a lot because it's kind of like my higher purpose kind of knows what I'm supposed to do, but it scares me. It's kind of like the stuff that you feel that God might be calling you to do is bigger than what you're comfortable with. So a lot of times we'll sabotage as well for that reason. Um, obviously the fail, the uh, fear of failing is a major reason why we sabotage. But a lot of times we also are going to sabotage because we are used to staying in the muck. A lot of women, you know, they believe that they are bad. So they will attract men that will tell them that they are bad. I believe that that was my original thing. I was in a marriage that, God, I was always told how bad I was. Um, I, I, I don't think, um, you know... And looking back, I probably told him that that same thing. We both were verbally abusive to each other because we both really just couldn't get each other to meet each other's needs in the way that we needed and wanted and we resented each other for it. Um, but going back to it, it, it looks like to me that, um, you know, we'll kind of reject um, that part that, we need to meet in ourselves. So it's just to say, you know, again, whenever you're creating some type of crisis, just look at the places that you're neglecting and it's pretty easy to figure out or the places that you let go of yourself and um, kind of embrace that and, and be love, be nice to yourself. And it's not to say not to be thankful or grateful for the relationships that you're in. A lot of them are very great and they, they have amazing aspects, but it is to say, you know, what's the part that you guys could all, like, you could kind of work on uh, to bring things more fully uh, well-rounded. So maybe, um, and maybe that is you being the one to do it first. So maybe you're feeling like you're lacking adventure in your relationship. And, uh, you know, maybe you've got this, this spouse that's really like routine and maybe they're like, you know, really like X, Y, and Z, we're going to do this and this and this today. And so maybe you're going to bring that flavor of adventure in and, um, and that's kind of a, a cool, cool thing. Right. Um, so it's, it's kind of embracing that, um, and, and being okay with, adding those elements that you feel are missing and, and having a conversation with yourself, but it's getting real with yourself. What are your needs? And a lot of us don't do that. We don't even, we're not even aware. We're not even used to asking ourselves, you know, what part of this do we need? What parts in our own lives do we need to meet more? So anyway, I hope this helps. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Audacious Living with Leah Jean. I do this podcast on my way to work. It's totally unedited. So um, I kind of just uh, figured I would uh, start a podcast as if somebody was in the car driving with me. So kind of take some of the anxiety off of uh, doing a podcast like this. But today I wanted to talk about um, reasons that we sometimes create crisis in our life or self-sabotage or, or what have you. Excuse me, got to put the seatbelt on. Um, so part of it is, um, I think for a lot of us, there's a, there's a few different reasons. Most of it goes back to actually uh, survival, interesting enough. So if we feel like we're being rejected from our original tribe uh, to 
follow our path or, or, um, maybe like to build a career or build our business and it's going against the tribe, our original, you know, our original tribe is typically our immediate family. Um, and if we feel that we, um, you know, in some way or form or they're disapproving of that, uh, then we will sabotage um, out of guilt, toxic guilt will create that as well. Uh, for women, we will do it too because if our fathers are somewhat being uh, withholding or rejecting towards a certain decision, for us it's kind of like even more so than even a man just because of kind of how women have been conditioned to think that you can't really survive without a man. A lot of it will kind of uh, trigger a lot of our instinctual survival uh, techniques um, that kind of is, I don't know, we're kind of built with it. It's kind of like inherently given. Um, And so we'll kind of sabotage in that way to make sure somebody is still there to rescue us if we needed to be rescued. Um, And so we'll kind of sabotage to make sure somebody's there to rescue us. Uh, The other reason that we sabotage is... um, you know, for the, the normal reasons that you constantly hear about is, you know, you don't feel worthy, you don't feel good enough, or maybe you're used to the dysfunction, maybe you're so used to your life going wrong that you actually have anxiety when things are right. So when it's actually a safe relationship, you're actually kind of bored or you feel anxiety because you're not used to a relationship where everything's working or you're not used to getting your needs met. And I want to talk about how uh, interesting that whole concept is, is if we're not used to getting our needs met and then we're finally given them, how we'll actually feel a lot of um, toxic guilt in that alone. Um, especially if we grew up in families where a lot of people didn't get their needs met, then we'll kind of have survivor's guilt if we're starting to meet our needs that other people that we know that we love are not getting their needs. So there's, there's a lot going on there too. Um, but the biggest one for me has been that, you know, big reason I think I do is I I feel guilt um, or I feel like I'm hurting somebody else to stand in my power. So um, that's an interesting, interesting one that we don't really talk about is that how many times we'll kind of sabotage to please somebody else so that they don't feel bad about themselves. So it's kind of like, you know, we will kind of destroy self or maybe we're like maybe we're in a group of friends that are have always been in crisis or we've always had lack and and what have you and then you're kind of you know starting to rebuild your life and you're kind of coming out of that and you'll almost feel like you're leaving people behind and then you kind of want to sabotage so that you you keep those people that you love right and so it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing, but a lot of this goes to survival and a lot of this goes to relating because uh, we we are beings that want to relate. We are beings that want to connect and we are beings typically that want our needs met. Um, and so a lot of us, though, we did not learn how to meet our needs and we don't know how to receive. Now, there was a time in my life where I definitely did know how to receive and there was a time in my life where... I did know, um, you know, how to let love in, but once trauma happened, I had a lot of repeated trauma, um, that was pretty, pretty drastic. 
And when that happens, then you kind of get, your, your brain kind of gets wired to uh, start to fear love and you think love is dangerous for you. And so the brain's way of staying safe is like, well, just avoid love. So you become an avoidant attachment style, which is kind of what I've been uh, living in the last few years. Uh, with that being said, there's some positive to it. It does create you to be pretty independent as a person, as a whole, so you can definitely stand on your own. But it also has its downfalls because it can, uh, you know, you can kind of give to the world that you've got it all together when you don't. And interesting enough, the world, the the universe is, and God kind of knows your needs, so it'll kind of create a crisis for you to get your needs met because you're giving to the world that you don't need your needs met when really you do. Um, sometimes it's pride, too. I mean, for me, I think sometimes we have a hard time asking for needs because of pride. Uh, maybe we felt that uh, maybe a parent sometimes made us feel inadequate, um, and so it's really hard for us to go back to that parent and ask them for help because many times that feeling of inadequacy gets triggered in us um, and it kind of puts like this cycle of shame placed on us that um, I'm not sure if, you know, parents are intentionally doing that or if it's just that their need, they themselves need to feel where um, they've gotten so much of their validation from being a provider. Um, and so for them, maybe they're just trying to fulfill their own needs, but for you, it makes you feel inadequate. So sometimes it's, it's kind of like two people are relating totally different and they're, they're trying to both meet their needs in a different way. And, um, and you know, both people don't really understand each other of why they're doing this. The problem is though, that there are some parents that get that validation so much about being the provider that they'll almost kind of need their children to kind of go back into dependency so that the child is needed. So my dad and I are actually interesting enough. We are walking through this very thing, uh, trying to find the balance, uh, it kind of taking a bumpy road quite a bit with the two of us. Um, you know, not going to lie, kind of had some unresolved anger with him that has definitely come out the last few years. And we are slowly working on building that relationship back and kind of uh, like, you know, as a child, it's kind of like I have to teach him just as much as he's kind of letting me understand his side of it. And, um, and so I kind of uh, want to encourage you know, I think it's important, though, for children to be an advocate for themselves because sometimes parents don't even know uh, that, you know, they're, they're thinking they're helping their child and that's all they're trying to do. And sometimes they don't realize that they're actually, like, keeping us more in a, a dysfunctional pattern because of that. And so, um, you know, not that I wanted to take away my dad's, you know, identity as a father, it's just that I want to, to, you know, become more of an individual for my own life so that I'm more in control of my own life, you know, instead of, you know, because right now, the last few years, it's kind of like, you know, if a parent is always the one in the driver's seat of your life, then you're getting your confidence from your parent. You're not really getting your confidence from within. So it's really important that we kind of uh, let 
you know, parents let you develop yourself as much as, you know, we're kind of letting them still be the parent. And so I think it's a kind of a, a, a really delicate uh, road. And sometimes parents aren't aware of their own subconscious needs uh, to the child and the reasons behind some of their own fears. And, 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 um, and so it, you know, it can create dysfunction between the, the dynamic between a daughter and a, and a father. Uh, vice versa, a mother and a daughter. A lot of times mom loves to be needed, which is wonderful. And sometimes, you know, for me, it's not that I didn't have parents that, you know, weren't there. In some ways, I had parents that were too much there uh, when I was younger to the point that it it kind of made it where I didn't get to develop myself enough. And so it's kind of like, you know, my parents didn't know how to sometimes have a hands-off approach. And sometimes that's kind of what you need. So in some ways, I kind of had to force my parents into that the last couple of years, kind of, you know, really having more boundaries between the two of us just so that I can, you know, stand more into my own power. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm, you know, I'm always going to need my parents' love. I'm always going to be looking for their validation in some way or another, and I'm always going to need and want them. But it is more of a healthier place that I'm not feeling totally inadequate the rest of my life. And I think that's important because that's a horrible feeling to stay in. And, you know, I think a lot of people do their whole entire lives stay in this feeling, you know, of inadequacy their entire lives and they never build their own confidence because they're still, they're still getting their confidence through their caretaker in some way or another. And, um, and so I think it's important that we kind of individually from that and it can be really hard, right? And it can feel like we're hurting our parents and it feels like sometimes we're hurting them the more we kind of become an adult to stand in our power, especially if these are parents that kind of like, you know, they, they kind of built their lives around us. And so it literally feels like we're hurting them. But really all we're doing is doing what's kind of what's healthy and normal is to kind of step more into being an individual, not so much, um, you know, so dependent on your parents. And I still do have codependency. I'm not going to lie. And I'm not going to pretend that I I don't. I'm not going to pretend I don't still sometimes rely on my parents when I'm in need. I'm not going to say that I I don't still uh, go to my parents for advice. I'm saying that now I think it's more of a better balance. I can tell my parents when, you know, they're overstepping in my life. And, um, and I, I think that's the, the thing. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes parents don't know when to give up the rain and they don't know to give up the control. And so sometimes we as kids have to kind of tell them that's not working for me anymore um, so that you can stand more into your authentic version of yourself. And sometimes it does mean we're not going to have the same opinions as our parents. We're not going to have the same views and being okay with that and that like parents should celebrate that in us uh, and not see it so much as a threat whereas in some families I do think that they think if their children thinks different than them or acts different than them or you know makes different income than them and they're not living the very same life that they are that it becomes a threat to their survival for whatever reason for themselves and so it, it, it it's kind of an interesting thing that kind of happens between 
children and parents. But I do think you can kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes it does take needing to take a break. Sometimes it means, you know, fighting and, you know, yelling at each other. Sometimes there's been a lot of things that have never been talked about because we have families that avoid a lot of, um, you know, a lot of times we have families that are stuck in an avoidant attachment themselves where nobody talks about the elephant in the room. We only give out the perfect version of our family to the world. I mean, come on, we're living in a Facebook society where everything's pretty and let's just put on the pink bow and say we're great. And a lot of times all of those things will show up and it's kind of like let's get to the root of the real dysfunction. And a lot of times we don't even want to talk about that uh, because sometimes our families... Um, It triggers too much shame to talk about the problems, um, you know, in a family. So a lot of times, oddly enough, family will kind of create a crisis so that they're they're focused on that instead of the actual uh, real problem at hand. This is really, you know, a common thing in in humanity. Uh, We'll create some type of crisis outside of ourselves to avoid dealing with some of our inner demons or inner the problems that we need to deal with. So there's a lot of avoidance going on in families, just like we avoid things in ourselves when we are avoiding, then we're usually self-neglecting and we're self-abandoning, which will later on lead to crisis. So it's kind of like, you know, it's important to kind of check those things. What are you avoiding in your life? What spaces have you not stepped into? Uh, Where do you stay safe? And how can you get yourself uncomfortable to get to the places that Um, maybe you've never dealt with in your life or maybe you've never tried or experimented. So it's kind of like giving yourself that permission to kind of go there. So anyway, I hope this helps. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, Audacious Living with Leah Jean here. Um... So today I want to talk about um, toxic guilt and how if we're still carrying a negative tape of things that we've done in our past, how that's actually going to prevent us from going to the next levels of success. So a lot of the times we will sabotage uh, before we can uh, go to that next place that... um, you know, we want to reach for. Um, now why does this happen? Um, in my opinion, I kind of feel like it's kind of universal law, if you will, or it's kind of God's way of, of kind of getting to our souls, uh, to become more of a pure version of ourselves and, um, more purposeful. So I think, um, again, the lucky few get to kind of go on these types of journeys sometimes of really diving deep. Cause I think most people kind of are walking around the world and they're kind of unconscious to themselves. Um, but I do think on being an entrepreneur or being in business, um, it will be, that thing that'll show you yourself like nothing else has shown you before. So, uh, you know, personally, I feel uh, a business will 
will speak volumes to where you're at in your life. Uh, there's definitely been times where I can tell I've totally neglected when I was neglecting myself, I was neglecting my business and how that showed up in my life. Um, I, you know, same when I was really putting a lot of energy in myself and pouring into my business, I saw the fruit of that too. So I, you know, I think that, um, you can kind of tell a lot of what's going on in your personal life, uh, because your business will kind of reflect what is happening with your, you know, kind of reflect what's going on with you on an emotional level. Um, and so I think, you know, if we go into to it, let's uh, dive in here on the reasons I think toxic guilt actually uh, does show up for people. And um, there's quite a few people I know that have... Um, kind of uh, been notorious for uh, bullying people or maybe they've been notorious on kind of, um, you know, dominating somebody else to, to kind of stay on top themselves. Um, and I want to say that, like, yes, in the immediate situation, that does typically work, right, uh, where you can kind of, you know, maybe lower somebody's self-worth so that you're in a higher position. Um, and, you know, immediately, yes, that might work and that might make your sales look good and that might make your boss think you're great and you might get the cookie from the cookie jar um, and look like the, the you know, Trojan horse, you know, walking into the office and looking like the, uh, you know, the gold star. Um, but, you know, and so yes, immediately that might be getting you that result. But I want to talk about, you know, when you continue doing that to people, how you're actually building so much toxic guilt in your life and shame that will show up for you later on, uh, might be two, three years down the line where you will sabotage yourself because it's kind of like our brain. And I also thank God, or, you know, just look at maybe God or, uh, you know, the good versus the bad energy of this world. I kind of think it will catch up with us. Um, I think, you know, things catch up. And, um, so I kind of think that, um, you know, it's important to try your hardest to treat people with dignity when you are working with them. Um, and there's times where, you know, it, it gets hard, especially in a competitive environment. And, um, and especially when you're needing to look like number one, I, I mean, when, when everybody's competing for, you know, to look like the, the best, you know, but I try to make it more like, well, what if we can make it a team looking the best instead of like one person outshining the other? And I think this is kind of what creates a lot of uh, sociopathic, um, narcissistically like systems, if you will, that are so fear-based because everybody's, it's kind of like the, the little game, um, that when we were kids, the, the music, the musical chairs and, you know, there's always one kid left out and 
God, that's a terrible game for kids to play because it's kind of like you're instilling all this fear of abandonment. Well, it's the same thing with sales and what have you. Nobody wants to be left out. Nobody wants to look like they're the, the kid that didn't get the chair, right? And so it's important, though, that we kind of really uh, try to be conscious of that because, again, it'll, it, it, it may not be... Um, you know, right now and in the here and now that you're going to see the consequences of the actions that you're doing later on. So it really does matter what you're doing today to try to really ethically uh, do things in a way that is, um, you know, more encouraging and uplifting to people. And it, it can be hard. I'm not going to lie. There's times where, you know, in a competitive environment, you know, there are times where it gets triggered for me where it kind of like, it's a weird feeling. You kind of feel like somebody might get, I don't know, you might get more love. And I think this goes way back from when we're children and we're trying to get our parents to approve of us and we're trying to get our parents to look at us. And it literally recreates itself when we become adults and we're, you know, looking at our bosses and we're looking at, you know, our corporate people trying to, um, you know, maybe, maybe we're trying to make a deal or even high end customers. And we're still trying to get them to please say, I'm, I'm deserving of the cookie in the cookie jar, you know? And so I think it's kind of important that we, we do look at that. And, um, you know, if you have, you know, some toxic guilt that you are dealing with, um, and you are wanting to go to, I think anytime I really want to, I'm learning so much more that like anytime I want to go to another level of success or if I want to do a new thing in my business, I really do take a couple days to kind of meditate and kind of get like right with, you know, the um, energy that is good in this world. And I'll try to look back and say, you know, look at the things that really I wish I had gone back and done differently or maybe things that I regret that I may have hurt somebody or um, maybe I, I didn't handle a situation uh, properly. And um, I, I kind of use that, A, to reflect on situations that I'm in now, but also I do that a lot so I can kind of forgive myself and kind of deal with some of that toxic guilt and kind of, you know, take a day or two to kind of like, you know, kind of release it, if you will. Um, because yeah, I do think our sub, these are some of the reasons the subconscious will then, you know, not allow us to have certain things. Um, because there's a lot of people out there that they won't allow themselves to have good because they're still holding on to all of the, the horrible things that they did. Uh, maybe they bullied a kid and knocked him down the stairs or something when they were younger, or maybe they, you know, like maybe they know that they did something really bad when they were younger and they're still holding on to that and, uh, it'll show up for your success and that you're trying to accomplish today. So, um, it really does matter and, and, you know, trying to live as ethically as possible. And I've got to say, like, I'm not going to lie. The last few years I haven't, um, 
I have not in my own life lived to the ethical standard that I wanted to have my business completely always to be at. Uh, some of that was because I did go through quite a bit of trauma and some of it was because my life kind of got out of control um, because a lot of things kind of came at me all at once. And unfortunately, I was a one-person show. Um, and I've had a lot of life obstacles, um, but these are not excuses. I still, um, you know, could have probably uh, handled things differently. Um, and I did neglect and I avoided certain things. that the, the things that I didn't really, like know how to do in my business. I just kind of neglected it instead of dealing with it. And so I have a, that's the, the problem with me in business that I have realized is that the parts I don't know how to do, I can just be like really great about compartmentalizing it and putting it over there and forgetting about it. So um, again, this is a podcast I'll be doing in another day of kind of taking the very thing that you typically are neglecting in your business and try to focus on that uh, very thing because a lot of the times the thing we're neglecting is the thing that'll bring the most fruit to our business. Um, but it's so hard to do um, when we're, when, uh, you know, A, we're nervous about it. Um, I think too, for me, I'm always nervous. I'm not going to do something right. I do have a little bit of perfectionism going on uh, that can get in my way. Um, so I like things done well and I like things done pretty and I like things done a certain uh, certain way. And when it doesn't go that way, I just you know, kind of kind of uh, messes me up a little bit. So, um, so I guess that did show up for me, but, um, again, there's some things that ethically I'm working on to get back to where I used to be, uh, which was a much more ethical place in life. And I felt a lot better about myself. I thought felt a lot better about my business. Um, so it all relates. And, um, you know, and those were just small little decisions I made that weren't the right decisions four years ago. Uh, during like the crisis, I should have handled things differently. And so the, these are things I still have to take responsibility for that I didn't handle things right. So now it's showing up for me today. So that's why I'm trying to say like, be intentional to the decisions that you're making, be in intentional to how you're treating people that you're working with, be intentional. I mean, if you try to you know, and even if somebody is being really nasty to you and they're sabotaging you at work, um, you know, and it takes a lot of strength to, you know, still try to be that person that is going to, you know, stay kind and also maybe up level them. Like, you know, I really do believe even if somebody's sabotaging you and you still work to up level them, those that person can't deny your positive light. And hopefully the positive light will outshine the negative. And that's more, and, and people that are doing that type of stuff, again, that's fear-based, that's insecure, that's really controlled, controlling type personalities that are kind of sabotaging somebody. And so if you can be more of that positive, like I'm more confident being, uh, the more you up level people, I do believe kind of like, you know, again, God upstairs or the, the positive energy of this world kind of knows and it reflects and says, oh, okay, you know, she's ready for the next level of success. And so 
the universe will kind of let you move up the stairs to go to that. Uh, but the people that are still holding on in fear and they're still trying to hold people back, guess what? They usually stay in the back. They usually don't move forward. They stay exactly where they are today because they're still holding on to control and they're still trying to take somebody down instead of empowering them. And when you can empower an entire team and you can empower every single person, that, that you're working with, then you've just totally changed the entire environment. And, um, you know, there can only be good and it's only coming up from here. But when we're holding on to all this like negative stuff, then it's going to, you know, you're going to get lack. I mean, really fear equals lack, love equals abundance. And I, I really do believe that with business. And I, I try to you know, and I'm not saying there has not been times I've been in such fear mode with my business. And every time I'm in that fear mode and I'm in that control mode and I'm trying to control and I'm trying, it shows up and it's always a freaking shit show disaster. So, um, the more I give up control and the more I take a risk or I, I try something new or I experiment or I let somebody, you know, then I usually end up having a much better result. Um, and I feel better too. So it's really interesting. So I, you know, again, um, get out of the control, get out of that negative and, you know, try to get more into a higher. And it does take that. It takes like knowing when you're getting triggered by somebody else, maybe surpassing you at work and like kind of talking to yourself in that moment and saying, okay, you know what? They might be doing good today, but in three weeks, you know, like I might be the one with the, that's doing better and I'm going to have to hold them up. But what if we didn't, you know, what if we didn't really let like the good score or the bad score, you know, really change us? Because if we're really just working on a vision for a five-year goal, you know, then really, yes, we need numbers to pay attention, but we really need to stay more on the ethical vision of what we're trying to accomplish. And I think when we do that, then everything else aligns and, you know, sales will come in easily for everybody. And so, you know, I don't know, it's just something I kind of think about with business and uh, with, with um, success. I hope this relates to you guys in some ways. And, you know, again, I don't always have the answers. I, I'm not somebody that has like a multi-billion dollar company or anything like that. I'm somebody who's just had a pretty small business. Uh, but at the same time, I've had enough highs and lows with my business that at this point in my life, I kind of feel I can talk a little bit openly about uh, the joys, the highs and lows in, in being a business owner um, and how scary it can be and how sometimes, um, you know, it really can challenge you in every aspect of your life and, um, and you know, and, every, and it also forces you to reinvent yourself again and again and again. I mean, like every time I think I finally have my business where it needs to be. It's like, nope, gotta reinvent. And, and it's cool though, because every time I reinvent, it actually is growing me to be a higher version of myself. So, you know, it really is kind of a cool thing. Now people do this with careers as well. And so it's not to say that you have to have a business to grow, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying for me, 
it ended up kind of being that track. But for other people, yeah, in your careers, you can do it that way. Some people, it's from children. You know, every age that their child grows, they have to change and they have to grow as well. So, um, I mean, this is part of life, how we, we kind of grow up. And um, it's kind of interesting to me um, and kind of exciting as well. All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Audacious Living with Leah Jean. Uh, So today I wanted to talk about toxic guilt and how that will prevent you from going to a new level of success. So um, I've been a entrepreneur business, small business owner for about 10 years now. Um, And I've gone through a lot of highs and lows with my business. And the last few years has been the most trying, actually, for me. But I think that's also because I have gone through a lot of life changes. I moved my business, first of all, from Florida to Boston. I went through a pretty uh, pretty gruesome divorce. um, And I kind of came out of that kind of beat up um, and upside down. And I I kind of... uh, took a lot of leaps of faith and, you know, brought myself to Boston. And I want to um, talk about today how I have realized that when you want to move your business to another level of success, how much emotional work actually really goes through it. And I think that that's not, uh, you know, we listen to a lot of gurus online and they talk so much about you know, how to do it or executing things. And nobody really talks a whole lot about the emotional side of uh, paving the way for your success. And so today I want to um, kind of uh, focus on that. And, you know, some of us have these really old tapes going on uh, from things from way back when, and we're still carrying a lot of guilt about that. Uh, So maybe, you know, maybe we had, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of different scenarios that that somebody may have experienced. Uh, Maybe they had a traumatic situation where, you know, they saw somebody drown. They, they didn't, they didn't save that person in time. And so they're still carrying guilt, uh, to this day about that. Or, or maybe, um, you had a really bad fight, um, with another family member that you loved and, you know, you still felt, um, you know, you're still carrying a lot of the responsibility for that. Even if it wasn't your fault, you're still carrying that as if it was your fault. Um, so there's a lot of toxic guilt, a lot of times that gets created when it's not your fault at all and you're still carrying it. So I want to talk about that because that's just as important uh, to address. But the toxic guilt that I do want to talk about is when you're actually kind of creating it in yourself uh, by your actions of doing unethical behavior. Um, and we all know, I mean, this is the interesting thing. Our subconscious knows still to this day, you know, when we are doing things unethical. 
Um, even when we think that we, we, you know, we can lie to the system, we can definitely lie to ourselves and, and, um, you know, but the system still knows the brain still knows the body still knows. And more importantly, uh, I do believe in, you know, the higher, you know, being of God above us and the positive energy kind of knows when we're not doing things, uh, to our higher standard. Now, this is not to shame people. This is not to place them into like, you know, you're going to hell type thing. It's more to say that I think crisis will always happen um, or will sabotage really. So it's kind of God's way of getting us back to a purer version of ourselves and a more purposeful version of ourselves. And so anytime I'm about to do a new change in my business or I'm trying to move the, my business in a different direction, I, I now kind of have gotten that I need to do some emotional work first before I can take it to that next level of success. And I do need to kind of look back and I need to evaluate, have I been living an ethical life? And I will say the last couple years, you know, once I went through and I had a lot of hardship... Um, you know, I had a lot of lack going through, uh, the trauma and all of these things. I, I, I I have to admit there's things I didn't probably handle, uh, in the most, most ethical light at the time that I kind of wish now I could go back on because I am now experiencing some of the consequences of that in my reality today. Um, now I do think, again, it's, it's kind of cool though, that we do get this opportunity to, when we get the crisis, you have to kind of look at it as like, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to do some soul cleaning. And it's kind of as uncomfortable as it is. It could actually be a, a, a blessing, if you will, because it does always make you have to self-evaluate and how you've been living. Now, I want to talk about though, when we when we make these little lies to ourselves and, you know, especially, um, in a, in a work environment, um, you know, I see a lot of people that do sabotage others and, you know, cause they, they want to look like the Trojan horse at the office. They want to look like the number one and being number one and looking good is so important that it overpowers their ability to treat people, um, treat people right. And these are people that will, you know, do it with a smile and they'll do it with the face with like, you know, they're, 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 you know, acting like they're your best friend, but at the same token, they're sabotaging you, uh, in that very, uh, the same breath that they're saying, Hey, your hair looks great. They're also trying to down dog you, um, you know, playing numbers and, and with your, you know, with sales and what have you. And so I want to talk about that because, you know, yes, it hurts the person, um, that, you know, is, uh, obviously being discounted there, but the person that's actually doing the, uh, the fudging the numbers or the, the, you know, kind of trying to gain power over somebody else or sabotaging somebody else. I want to talk about that because it actually is creating so much toxic guilt in them every single day and how that will show up for them 
you know, it might not show up in the immediate right now, but it's going to show up, you know, two, three years down the line. They will destroy themselves. So I always say this when somebody is being really toxic at you, you really don't have to do much because you just have to remember that, you know what, they will get their, it's going to come back to them in a, you know, in a way that's, that um, I don't have to really worry about. Um, as long as you know you're doing your side of the road in the most positive way possible, you don't have to necessarily worry so much what this other person is doing. Although, yes, it is hurtful and sometimes it can be stressful because you could lose your job because this person might be making you look bad or what have you. But what I want to say is that, um, you know, if you are that person doing that, we all have 24 hours in a day and we all can turn it around. We can always turn around, you know, if we're treating somebody wrong or we're, you know, we can always at the end of the day evaluate ourselves and say, you know, did I treat people right today? And, you know, I try to do that, you know, I try to really look at it and say, did I, did I do a good job at treating people around me right today? Um, did I, did I treat my team players right? And I think it's important that we do that because we can, you know, we can really lose ourselves in, in the, the chase for the bone, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of like we, we want to look like the best uh, to our bosses or what have you, and we can get in a total funk over that and kind of ridiculous. So I, I just think that, um, you know, it goes back to the musical chairs when we were kids, right? And you, you play that game and one person is always left out and nobody wants to be the kid that's left out. That's a horrible game, by the way, for kids to have to play because it just triggers fear of abandonment right then and there. And unfortunately, fear of abandonment gets triggered a lot in sales and we don't talk about that. And um, I think that that really is the motivator there for a lot of people is uh, fear. Uh, fear comes down to it of why they would maybe step on somebody else to up-level themselves. It's fear that they're going to be left out or it's fear that they're not going to get the the gold star or they're not going to get the cookie in the cookie jar or whatever it is, um, you know, and, and it actually goes back to like primal instincts, I believe, uh, from caretakers. And a lot of the times it's, you know, we we're trying to, you know, show our parents that we're, we're, we're so good. Right. And then we grow up and we kind of manifest that same type of thing in a work environment. So everybody's still, you know, we just make our bosses into dad or mom and we're still trying to please them. And it's interesting to me because I still think people are having that crazy dynamic where I got to make one sibling look bad so that I look good to mom and dad. And there's this going on quite a bit. Um, I find a lot of the times in you know, businesses, corporations, and, and, um, it becomes very competitive. And I, I hate environments like that because it becomes very toxic and nobody can really feel, uh, safe and nobody can really feel, um, because 
in those types of environments, you know somebody could be using any information against you to gain their position. So it sucks. You can't even have a normal relationship because everybody's got this anxiety over you know, relating to each other because nobody really knows if they can truly put their guard down with this person. And so nobody can really have any intimacy in an environment like that. Um, and so I think that it's more important that, you know, if we can, you can kind of up level people and even the person that is putting you down, if you do your best to up level them and you up level everybody around you, It's not so much for that other person. It's so much so that you're telling the universe or God or the universal laws that you are not in fear mode. You're in a much more confident position and the universe kind of knows, okay, she's ready to go to that next level of success. But the people that try to hold other people back, they just stay in the back. They stay right there because their their self-worth will not allow them to move to higher mountains because they're going to have all this toxic guilt that they're holding on to because of the crap that they're doing to people. So you kind of have to say to yourself, all right, well, you know what? They want to play that rodeo. Let them play it, you know, but it's not going to get them very far. And let me tell you, it just makes them anxiety and it actually makes them feel that they that um you know they themselves they they actually kind of are walking around they probably have this tape going on like they hope nobody finds out who they really are so they're they can't have real intimacy with anybody because nobody wants you know their image that they're trying to perceive that they're this nice person you know, really behind closed doors, they feel like garbage. So it's, it's, it's not good for them either. Um, and it's not good for really anybody in the group when it's an environment like that, because it becomes so fear-based. So I kind of believe that we can kind of use a, a system that's more like, let's create a vision for your goals and try to empower everybody in the group. And sometimes it does take people that are, uh, you know, in a fear-based mode like that, that use toxic maneuvers uh, to win and to have success or to look like that Trojan horse. Um, I think those types of things, sometimes you do have to cut them out of your organization. And sometimes you do have to, uh, especially if you don't want to run your business like that, you don't want ethical behavior going on like that, because that is negative energy and it hurts people. Um, especially, um, you know, it hurts both, really. Just as much as it's hurting the bully, it is hurting uh, the person that's being bullied. So really, both people are losing, and it's creating toxic shame in both people. So I don't know. I'm just uh, kind of against that sort of thing, um, you know, and it's... Uh, I think there's other ways you can, you can look good. I think you're, you know, we sh- we're smart girls. If you're a smart girl, you shouldn't, you know, just use your intelligence to be fruitful. Um, and you know, use your kindness and use, use, use your, um, abilities in a more positive light. Uh, I hope this helps and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Odasha's Living with Leah Jean. I wanted to talk today about uh, crisis and how it actually can be a symptom uh, that there is 
some things that obviously are not working in your life. Um, but a, a crisis, a lot of the times, interesting enough, our brains are very intelligent and it knows if we are not getting its needs met, it knows to create a crisis of some kind. So, you know, I really do believe in a lot of ways that, uh, you know, viruses, cancer, uh, bankruptcy, uh, you know, a lot of these, these things, in my opinion, can be symptoms to you not getting your needs met. Um, now, a lot of people who, um, you know, don't know how to get their needs met, a big sim- the reason behind them not knowing getting their needs met is that they do not know how to receive love. Now, there is a lot of us out there, actually, that don't know how to receive love. We know how to give love out, and we know how to pour it out into other people, but we're actually really bad and we're self-neglecting to uh, really take that for ourselves. And so we become very self-neglecting um, and we self-abandon a lot, uh, which then, oddly enough, our brain will say, oh, you know, she's not getting all of her needs met. And so some type of crisis will happen. Now, the last few years for me, I definitely have not gotten my needs met. I have been single as a woman, and I want to talk about that today because, you know, yes, traditionally, um, you know, in the past, women, you know, were married and, and what have you, and sometimes it is difficult when you are single because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you. Um, and a lot of times we're not getting our needs met. Um, and so the last few years, you know, things that, that some people take for granted, like affection or hugs or just, um, you know, somebody going to get me a glass of water or, you know, lugging my baggage, it's kind of like I've had to, uh, really kind of do that for myself. And so I've become so self-reliant. Uh, to the point that it, um, you know, I became so self-reliant and I basically kind of trained myself to not need anybody. And it's really not healthy though, because our, you know, God is kind of an interesting thing and he'll use universal laws and he'll kind of use the universe to support you in the way that you need. So he will create a crisis so that you do get your needs met. So, you know, you look at September 11th or you look at, you know, these horrible bombings and um, school shootings, what have you, I have to say they're, they're horrible and they're, they're, they're God awful. But the only, uh, you know, silver lining in all of those is that it does bring people together um, and it brings communities together that maybe before that were somewhat, um, you know, I guess detached from each other. So it does bring uh, unity. And anytime there is crisis, typically people do come and, you know, come and help you and they bring support. And so I want to talk a little bit, interesting enough though, how our brains can get kind of wired dysfunctionally uh, to find crisis, to get our needs met when we aren't getting, when we haven't gotten our needs met for a long time. 
And so <clears throat> uh, I really believe drug addicts actually, uh, the reason they have a lot of uh, drug overdoses and what have you is interesting enough, their brain is actually trying to get its needs met. It's saying, I've had so much neglect, I've had so much abandonment, I haven't had the right love, and I'm looking you know, for my needs to be met, and the only way that they know how to get it met is to, you know, like for the subconscious to find some type of crisis, right? And so it will allow this person to have some type of drug overdose when really they just haven't gotten their basic needs met. And a lot of the times the people that uh, so-called, you know, love them, I think this is also what tricks the brain is the people, you know, they're around when that person is in dysfunction uh, when the person is relapsing people come and they come and rescue but when that person starts to do well those very same people that came to rescue run kind of kind of um you know become neglectful um so interesting enough it is kind of what creates a lot of relapse in in people that do have drug addiction is because the uh, they're only getting the love when they're in crisis they're not getting the love when they are in health and you know stabilization so it's interesting uh, when you look at it like this and you look at it even just on people who don't have you know, drug addiction or what have you, but you just look at it how much that we're still needing our basic needs, uh, which is love and affection. Now, for those of us, excuse my dog, excuse my dog, uh, for those of us who don't know how to get our needs met, I think it's important that we, whenever we are facing crisis, to see what am I neglecting and what am I self-abandoning in myself. Uh, for me, that has been my, uh, I kind of, uh, sometimes we'll go through certain situations and maybe we went through some difficult relationships that were very rejecting to us. And so if they were rejecting to us, then a lot of times we will reject ourselves. Um, and because we will kind of take on the the, the, there must be something wrong with me, I must not be lovable, um, or I must not be good, and we turn into a very self-punishing, self-defeating, self-destructive uh, cycle that's really hard to get out of because we're allowing this uh, other person's perceptions of us to kind of control our life. And so, you know, a lot of times we will create crisis in that regard because at that point we are totally rejecting and self-abandoning ourselves, And so it is kind of getting in tune to getting back to self. So this last year I've uh, been a uh, strong advocate on the whole like self-abandoning side of life, which is probably why I know so much about it right now because I've, I have self-neglected, I've self-abandoned, and I've self-rejected um, a lot of myself, uh, not feeling that, you know, I've gotten a lot of, over the years, not a very good mirroring system for a good, strong sense of self, uh, based off of the people that, you know, 
you would think would give you uh, the encouragement that you would need uh, to have that. And so sometimes that does make us turn on ourselves, even though, you know, you can tell yourself on a conscious level, it's, it's this other person, it still hurts you, it's still self-destructive to you. Um, so that's another reason why we do uh, self-abandon. But a lot of the self-abandonment was actually learned behavior from when we were children. And a lot of us learned when we were children that everybody else's needs mattered and ours didn't. It was always everybody else was more important and our needs did not matter. And so we learned that early enough and it kind of became the way that we learn to relate to intimacy and we learn to relate to people. And so a lot of us that are uh, do not know how to get our needs met and a lot of us that do not know how to receive, you will find most of us are in service industry. We're great at it because we, we know how to pour out to people. We don't necessarily know how to pour in though. <laughs> so, so it really does take kind of, for me, it took actually a lot of dysfunctional relationships uh, that used me a lot, that were manipulative, used me, for me to kind of get it that, oh, okay, the kind of like God is trying to teach me to value me and to meet my needs. And so the last couple of years I've gotten that I can't be looking for other people to validate me or for other people to necessarily meet my needs. I need to learn to meet my own. And so I did get into Tai Chi, which is very much just about like kind of pulling energy back to self, not so much pouring out. Uh, so that was very helpful. Um, I do try to do, you know, like long walks, journaling. Um, you know, I do try to once a week go to a counselor. I try to do quite a bit to do self-care. I still have a hard time though. I do still do a lot of self-neglecting and I still have not met all of my needs, but I am starting this podcast today uh, because I want to talk about how we can self-abandon in a business. And usually it's a reflection that we're self-abandoning something in ourselves. So it kind of relates to each other. It's kind of a reflection. And I want to you know, help people kind of identify where they don't know how to receive so that they can learn how to. And also, more importantly, I want to kind of um, help people identify like the missing, missing half of you will. Like a lot of us are getting most of our needs met, but there's a big chunk that we haven't. And so I kind of want to help people uh, step more in alignment to that in the next few years. Um, and I think that's just what this podcast for me is going to be about, is kind of just helping people learn to meet their needs, receive more love and abundance, and get rid of toxic shame and guilt that prevents them from having a full-rounded life that um, I think every person in this world kind of deserves. So, um, and if you aren't getting your needs met, um, you know, it is important that we, we have community of people. And a lot of us have like avoidant issues I have because of trauma. Uh, so we kind of avoid, so we kind of actually do create our own isolation sometimes because we don't trust relationships uh, most of the time. It's because of fear 
um, because of past relationships that have been hurtful. And so we kind of learn to avoid. And then if we also didn't feel that, if we felt we were rejected a whole lot, you know, we also have a little bit of a fear of getting close to people too for the actual rejection and fear of abandonment. So we've got some of those things going on, but the more you can get comfortable with being abandoned or being rejected, as horrible as it sounds, not that that's something to ever get comfortable with, but the more you can use it as like, okay, I'm being rejected from this thing because it's actually pointing me to this thing or it's moving me to the right place of where I need to be, you can kind of diffuse the pain of the rejected, the rejection um, and kind of understand it a little bit more. But a lot of us had major rejection from, you know, the masculine energy in our families and um, sometimes, and what that, that actually is more hurtful to a child's psyche uh, than if a mother rejects you for whatever reason, um, for some reason, I guess the, the man's stability in a, a family, uh, it can kind of do a little bit more damage. And I do believe also this kind of is what creates a lot of people to fall into an addiction cycle is uh, typically not feeling that they were you know, approved of as children. And if we didn't feel like we could properly bond or properly attach to parents, then some type of addiction will create. And this could be food addiction. This can be sex addiction. Uh, this could be obviously drugs, uh, financial. Um, and then there's people like me that I destroy. I do self-punishing kind of in a different way. For me, it's kind of like um, I will overspend. I'll or I do it with money. I kind of destroy money. Um, I'm great at destroying some money, let me tell you. Um, and um, I'll do it with parking tickets and what have you. But in a weird way, that's still kind of, um, it's kind of a weird way. It's kind of like, you know, again, having gotten needs met in a long time from kind of the people that, you know, like the people that... Um, your basic needs, I guess. And so when you're not getting your basic needs, it's kind of like your brain kind of creates a crisis, which is like the opposite of what you really want. And it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, but you're, it's doing a few things. I mean, it, the, the, the crisis is also happening uh, in that regard too, because a lot of times maybe we have fear of success and so we kind of know we're going to go build this next thing, but we're afraid to build it. So we'll destroy, we'll destroy things that way too. So a lot of times financial suicide is because of that. So, you know, if you're doing crazy amount like parking tickets and stuff like that, like me, a lot of times it's because you're afraid to go to that next level. So you're kind of trying to destroy yourself in a way. It's financial suicide. It's ridiculous. It's not, uh, it's something that kind of happens uh, when you, again, have fear and anxiety towards success. And, um, you know, so it really, you got to kind of have to have a good relationship with success. You have to have a good relationship with money. And you have to have a good relationship with yourself. <laughs> and um, a lot of times we don't. And sadly, a lot of the times we don't have a good relationship with ourselves because we have been wounded by other people. But you are an adult and it is your job to get yourself into care therapy or do the work, read some books, and, um, you know, go to, go to as many people as you can to, till you feel 
better and uh, about yourself and you know nobody can nobody can develop self-worth in yourself other than you so you kind of got to do it in you all right talk to you later have a good day bye-bye hi this is a podcast uh i started called audacious living I actually am doing it while I'm driving. I figured sometimes it's easier to kind of speak to this to take some of the anxiety away as if you were in my car with me. So here we go. It's kind of unedited. I don't even know if anybody's going to care what I have to say, but I just felt like the last few years I've learned some things about myself and felt like I should at least kind of talk about it. Um, So I want to talk about how... A lot of times our brains will kind of create crisis or our reality will create crisis or uh, sometimes crisis happens in our life and how we can actually use it as a catalyst to bring a lot of healthy change in our life and we can use it uh, to our benefit um, in some pretty powerful ways. So um, a few years ago, I went through a pretty horrific divorce. Um, Most people know that are close to me know my story. Um, and I learned some really valuable lessons in that I learned some of my own stuff that, you know, I really didn't want to look at, didn't even know was there. Uh, first of all, uh, some dysfunction that was in my, my own life and also within my family, um, and uh, within there. So I, I do believe that, you know, every person, Uh, can teach you good and bad and it's kind of taking on the parts of that person that you don't want to uh, have in your life so you can learn just as much on that side of it um, that okay that's dysfunction that I do not want in my life Um, and so sometimes we're brought into relationships or families to realize what we don't want but we can also take the parts of that family that we really did admire there's so much about my ex-husband's a family that I really valued and admired and fell in love with. And that was what I fell in love with from the beginning with them. And so it's not to dismiss everything about them, but it is to say the parts that uh, did show up for me that didn't sit well with me. Um, And so of what I wouldn't want to carry on in my own family if I have one one day, if I choose to. Uh, I personally have chosen the last few years to develop myself I have chosen deliberately to not be in a relationship, uh, partly because I still feel like I am working on some of the unresolved issues I have. I did get wounded a lot by men, so I feel at this point it would be irresponsible of me to get in a relationship until I've dealt with some of the um, subconscious, uh, you know, feelings I have um, with not feeling 100% safe with men. So I am working with that. I'm working on that. I do therapy and I'm first to say women, if you have anger towards men, you have no right being in a relationship with them with one and you should do the, be doing the work every single day to kind of resolve that so that when you do get into a relationship, you can relate to this person a lot healthier. Um, but uh, going back to what I was originally talking about, which is uh, kind of like um crisis and how it relates to personal life and business. Um, 
when I got out of my divorce, I read this book called The Big Leap, and I swear that book has changed my life, and it really is kind of what really forced me into dig deep into therapy because I did realize this pattern within me is that I would only allow myself to get to a certain level of success before I would sabotage it. Um, and I didn't know why I would do this. Um, and it kind of was becoming this like repeated dysfunction, um, that I knew there was a pattern that was not working well in my life. And I didn't know why. And I started to dig deep and I brought myself into, uh, lots of therapy and, uh, dealing, I, I try to do coaching when I can, but basically, uh, the book, it talks about, uh, our upper limit and how we have to kind of shed the old version of ourselves before we can step into the new version of ourselves. So it's kind of like a snake needing to shed its skin. And in order to kind of become the new version, we have to deal with all the old programming and all of the old negative tapes that we carry. So a lot of times as children, we took on the belief that maybe we were inadequate. Uh, maybe we took on the message that we were not worthy. Maybe we took the message that we weren't good enough, lovable. Um, or maybe we felt that we didn't quite fit in. Um, and nobody really talks about that. Sometimes you might not actually feel that some of the family beliefs, maybe they don't 100% resonate with you. And that can start at an early age. I mean, I remember there were certain things that my mom believed when I was younger that I remember then thinking that doesn't really feel right with me. Um, but you know, to, to, uh, to respect my mother, I kind of went along with it. Right. And we all do this until we one day wake up and we say, who do we want to be? And this is part of individualating from our parents, which is a very healthy thing, uh, to kind of question our parents, uh, way of thinking, not to say that their thinking is wrong, but it is to uh, identify our own identities and kind of becoming um, our own person. And that is the part of, uh, that's the beauty in this, it's kind of a gift that parents give us is to let us become who we are and celebrate that. Um, so going back to um, some of the things that I, I do think uh, the original stories and how they kind of start, and how the crisis a lot of times in our life is because we are not getting our needs met in somewhere. And typically the need that we're not getting, actually we didn't get it in childhood either. And so we have to now go back and reparent ourselves in the areas that were broken for us. And this is again, not to blame parents. I think parents do the best job that they can and with the tools that they were given. A lot of times they themselves were not given the best uh, version of, you know, self-worth in their own lives. So it's kind of, you know, how do they give you the tools that they didn't get, you know? Um, so it is kind of, we have to look at that and kind of change that within our own lives. Um, so the um, So the biggest thing is to look at where, what you are neglecting, 
you know, if you're having a financial crisis in your business, what part of your business are you neglecting? That's typically the part that actually could be the biggest, uh, the biggest avenue to bringing the most positive change to your business. If you kind of honed in on the place that you're neglecting. The same thing in your relationship, the part that you are neglecting, what part of that are you neglecting? And then the biggest one is the parts that we neglect in ourselves. So the relationship with ourselves is so important and we have to look at where, what are we neglecting? Are we neglecting sleep? Are we neglecting good nutrition? Are we neglecting healthy relationships? And are we, are we neglecting having healthy boundaries and, and what have you? So it's like you have to look at all these things and say, what part of me is being neglected? Where am I neglecting in relationship? Where am I neglecting all over the place, right? And so that is a big reason why crisis happens, I believe. And uh, I think we can use it to kind of examine and and be like the, the, um, you know, the, the mystery finder of our, of our own lives and kind of fix it within ourselves. I think we all have the answers in ourselves to kind of bring that stuff forward. Um, the other reason I think that we create crisis is like when we, like a lot of times there is something that is being neglected. Um, and so a lot of times in families, a lot of families can have a lot of the right things, the right elements that, a family needs to have like fortune. They may have, you know, really great entertainment. They might go on like really great adventures. Um, but maybe not all of the family members are getting their needs met. Maybe some are getting their needs met and others are being neglected. Um, and so that is where a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, hurt feelings can develop in a family. Uh, there can be a lot of feelings of betrayal because uh, some people are getting their needs met one day and then the other person is feeling neglected. Or maybe one child is feeling loved and then the other is being neglected. So a lot of times this will, this will also create uh, this wounded part in ourselves that we kind of need to go back and examine. Um, and we do this in friendships and what have you. The other reason we create crisis is because we are used to it. Uh, we are more, we are, we've been in such survival mode and we've been in pain and that's the only thing that we know. And so if we have only known a life of struggle and pain, then guess what? We will actually create dysfunction to stay in that because that is what we're used to. We're comfortable there. We're not comfortable in the, uh, we're, we, we have no idea what it feels like to not worry. We have no idea what it feels like to not be in lack. We have no idea what it feels like to be, um, to have our needs met. And in fact, it actually makes us uncomfortable when we are getting our needs met because it makes us feel guilty. There's a part of us that makes us feel unworthy when we're getting our needs met. So we'll actually somewhat reject it. This is why you see a girl that's in a really healthy relationship and she rejects it. It's a lot of times because she didn't feel worthy of the love uh, to begin with. So she'll destroy it. Um, same thing with the man. Uh, there's so many men that cannot accept love. And these are people that can't receive love. Now, there was definitely a time in my life where I totally know, knew how to receive love. And, um, but after being very hurt and wounded, 
my post-traumatic stress kind of, I had some repeated betrayal from close relationships in my life. Uh, some were family members, some were, um, you know, people that, uh, some were friends, some were, you know, just I had a lot of repeated betrayal. And when we have a lot of retreated, uh the portrayal, then our brain will reject love to stay safe. So it'll kind of shut it off and say, oh, and so it'll actually use anger. Anger is the best tool to avoid love. So if you see somebody who has a lot of anger issues or they're, they're kind of pushing you away, a lot of the times that's their own mechanism of actually trying to stay safe because love has not, uh, Love has not felt safe to them for a very long time. So it's kind of uh, trying to stay in that for that person. It's really hard because sometimes you feel like you're getting um, beaten up by that person. And sometimes you do have to step away and let them deal with their own season of life. And let them kind of meet their own needs and their own time and kind of wait for that relationship to come back. And a lot of times it will. And a lot of times uh, people just need that time. And that is uh, sadly what post-traumatic stress does to people. And it's not necessarily this person's trying to deliberately be mean to you. It's that that person has been so hurt and so wounded that they now, their defense is against letting love in. So they cannot receive love Um, And that is the saddest thing. And obviously, there will be a ton of crisis that creates in our lives when we cannot receive love. Now, I do believe that a lot of women carry this masculine energy of not receiving love. They know how to give love out, but they do not know how to receive. And I also believe men, you know, really have a hard time with receiving. They are really great about meeting other people's needs but they do not know how to receive their own. In fact, men have a hard time even just asking for directions, uh, let alone let love in. So it's it's something that we all actually don't talk enough about is actually letting love in. But when we let love in, that is letting God's abundance in to our life. And a lot of us are totally blocking that. We're not even allowing it to manifest because we're still in that survival flight flight uh, mode of I got to stay safe and we're trying to control our environment so much that we're missing out of the pie and I have been I mean this has been me the last I don't know four years and I'm slowly working I'm slowly putting my guard down and kind of doing this podcast in a way is kind of like I'm hoping it kind of helps me. The more vulnerable I get, the more open I hopefully will become to receive because I feel like, you know, it's it's talking about our feelings. And a lot of us don't want to talk about the messy parts. And a lot of us don't want to talk about the dark parts of us and, and the parts that are broken. And, you know, sometimes life will break you. And, you know, I definitely have gotten broken. And I'm... I'm working on repairing that but I'm also working on it and looking at it on wow how can I take all of this that I have learned and gone through and make it into something beautiful it doesn't have to be that old story any longer and bring it into the light so I think that that's really cool and we allow these things to happen and um, I think it's important that we look at too you know the the parts in our relationships that aren't working and you know some of us have great 
great relationships where we're getting maybe like 70% of our needs met. We're getting the, the adventure. We're getting money. We're getting good sex even. Uh, but maybe we're missing that vulnerability piece to it and that emotional piece. And there's that missing 30%. Well, when we have that missing piece, we're going to create crisis, right? We're going to start fighting. We're going to, you know, whatever. And if we kind of look at it like looking at every time there is something like that, what are we missing? And then vice versa, there's that couple that is, you know, not they they're meeting each other's needs emotionally, but they're lacking the adventure. They're lacking the good sex. And they're lacking, um, you know, they're lacking a whole other host of, of things. So it's tapping into that missing, you know, I guess what, that's what I want to make this podcast about is tapping in to the missing 70, uh, sorry, the missing 30% of your life to meet your needs. So maybe you're getting the 70%, maybe you've got your paycheck, you've got the job that's giving you the paycheck, but it doesn't really fulfill you. Um, or you got the relationship that you're in and, you know, most of your needs are being met, but there's a big chunk that's not. So it's kind of like evaluating all of that and not to say not to be thankful for where your life is today. I do believe in a lot of gratitude and I believe that it's great to embrace that part and say thank you for everything that you do have. But it is to say, like, how can you slowly shift into stepping into these areas that you have neglected in yourself? And a lot of times it's not uh, to blame the per- the other person that's in your relationship. It's not to blame your husband or your spouse or your business partner why you're not getting this certain need. It's to say, where did I neglect that in me? Where did I neglect the parts of me that were adventurous? Where did I neglect the parts of me that, you know, were sexual? Or where did I neglect the parts in me that were... Um, you know, loving or where's the parts of me that I neglected being vulnerable? Where did I stop? What, what day did I stop to, and decided to not be vulnerable anymore and speak my needs? And where did I learn to not speak my needs? A lot of times, you know, we learn that way back to not ask for your needs to be met or we met that we felt that that was weakness to ask for our needs and when did that start and how do we fix it and turn it around so it is asking yourself a lot of good questions and kind of doing that inner work so I hope this helps somebody I don't know if it makes sense hopefully I am kind of rambling it is hot so I'm going to finally turn on my air conditioning and I hope this serves somebody out there well talk to you later bye-bye This is a podcast uh, I started called Audacious Living. I actually am doing it while I'm driving. I figured sometimes it's easier to kind of speak to this to take some of the anxiety away as if you were in my car with me. So here we go. It's kind of unedited. I don't even know if anybody's going to care what I have to say, but I just feel like the last few years I've learned some things about myself and felt like I should at least kind of talk about it. Um, So I want to talk about how a lot of times our brains will kind of create crisis or our reality will create crisis or uh, sometimes crisis happens in our life 
and how we can actually use it as a catalyst to bring a lot of healthy change in our life and we can use it uh, to our benefit um, in some pretty powerful ways. So um, a few years ago, I went through a pretty horrific divorce. Um, Most people know that are close to me know my story. Um, And I learned some really valuable lessons in that. I learned some of my own stuff that, you know, I really didn't want to look at, didn't even know was there. Uh, First of all, uh, some dysfunction that was in my my own life and also within my family um, and uh, within there. So I I do believe that, you know, every person uh, can teach you good and bad. And it's kind of taking on the parts of that person that you don't want to uh, have in your life. So you can learn just as much on that side of it um, that, okay, that's dysfunction that I do not want in my life. Um, And so sometimes we're brought into relationships or families to realize what we don't want. But we can also take the parts of that family that we really did admire. There's so much about my ex-husband's family that I really valued and admired and fell in love with. And that was what I fell in love with from the beginning with them. And so it's not to dismiss everything about them, but it is to say the parts that uh, did show up for me that didn't sit well with me. Um, and so of what I wouldn't want to carry on in my own family if I have one one day, if I choose to. Uh, I personally have chosen the last few years to develop myself. I have chosen deliberately to not be in a relationship, uh, partly because I still feel like I am working on some of the unresolved issues I have. I did get wounded a lot by men, so I feel at this point it would be irresponsible of me to get in a relationship until I've dealt with some of the um, subconscious, uh, you know, feelings I have um, with not feeling 100% safe with men. So I am working with that. I'm working on that. I do therapy and I'm first to say women, if you have anger towards men, you have no right being in a relationship with them with one and you should do the, be doing the work every single day to kind of resolve that so that when you do get into a relationship, you can relate to this person a lot healthier. Um, but, uh, going back to what I was originally talking about, which is, uh, kind of like, um, crisis and how it relates to personal life and business. Um, When I got out of my divorce, I read this book called The Big Leap. And I swear that book has changed my life. And it really is kind of what really forced me into dig deep into therapy because I did realize this pattern within me is that I would only allow myself to get to a certain level of success before I would sabotage it. Um, and I didn't know why I would do this. Um, and it kind of was becoming this like repeated dysfunction, um, that I knew there was a pattern that was not working well in my life and I didn't know why. And I started to dig deep and I brought myself into, uh, lots of therapy and, uh, dealing, I I try to do coaching when I can, but basically, uh, the book, it talks about, uh, our upper limit and how, we have to kind of shed the old version of ourselves 
before we can step into the new version of ourselves. So it's kind of like a snake needing to shed its skin. And in order to kind of become the new version, we have to deal with all of the old programming and all of the old negative tapes that we carry. So a lot of times as children, we took on the belief that maybe we were inadequate. Uh, Maybe we took on the message that we were not worthy Maybe we took the message that we weren't good enough, lovable, um, or maybe we felt that we didn't quite fit in. Um, And nobody really talks about that. Sometimes you might not actually feel that some of the family beliefs, maybe they don't 100% resonate with you. And that can start at an early age. I mean, I remember there were certain things that my mom believed when I was younger that I remember then thinking that doesn't really feel right with me. Um, but you know, to, to, uh, to respect my mother, I kind of went along with it. Right. And we all do this until we one day wake up and we say, who do we want to be? And this is part of individualating from our parents, which is a very healthy thing, uh, to kind of question our parents, uh, way of thinking, not to say that their thinking is wrong, but it is to uh, identify our own identities and kind of becoming um, our own person. And that is the part of, uh, that's the beauty in this. It's kind of a gift that parents give us is to let us become who we are and celebrate that. Um, so going back to um some of the things that I I do think uh, the original stories and how they kind of start and how the crisis a lot of times in our life is because we are not getting our needs met in somewhere. And typically the need that we're not getting, actually we didn't get it in childhood either. And so we have to now go back and reparent ourselves in the areas that were broken for us. And this is, again, not to blame parents. I think parents do the best job that they can and with the tools that they were given. A lot of times they themselves were not given the best uh, version of, you know, self-worth in their own lives. So it's kind of, you know, how do they give you the tools that they didn't get, you know? Um, So it is kind of, we have to look at that and kind of change that within our own lives. Um, So the... um, So the biggest thing is to look at where, what you are neglecting. Uh, You know, if you're having a financial crisis in your business, what part of your business are you neglecting? That's typically the part that actually could be the biggest, uh, the biggest avenue to bringing the most positive change to your business. If you kind of honed in on the place that you're neglecting. Same thing in your relationship. The part that you are neglecting, what part of that are you neglecting and then the biggest one is the parts that we neglect in ourselves so the relationship with ourselves is so important and we have to look at where what are we neglecting are we neglecting sleep are we neglecting good nutrition are we neglecting healthy relationships and are we are we neglecting having healthy boundaries and and what have you so it's like you have to look at all these things and say, what part of me is being neglected? Where am I neglecting in relationship? Where am I neglecting all over the place, right? And so that is a big reason why crisis happens, I believe. And uh, I think we can use it to kind of examine and and be like the, the um, you know, the 
the mystery finder of our, of our own lives and kind of fix it within ourselves. I think we all have the answers in ourselves to kind of bring that stuff forward. Um, the other reason I think that we create crisis is like when we, like a lot of times there is something that is being neglected. Um, and so a lot of times in families, a lot of families can have a lot of the right things, the right elements that a family needs to have, like fortune. They may have, you know, really great entertainment. They might go on like really great adventures. Um, but maybe not all of the family members are getting their needs met. Maybe some are getting their needs met and others are being neglected. Um, and so that is where a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, hurt feelings can develop in a family. Uh, there can be a lot of feelings of betrayal because, uh, some people are getting their needs met one day and then the other person is feeling neglected. Or maybe one child is feeling loved and then the other is being neglected. So a lot of times this will, this will also create uh, this wounded part in ourselves that we kind of need to go back and examine. Um, and we do this in friendships and what have you. The other reason we create crisis is because we are used to it. Uh, we are nor- we are, we've been in such survival mode and we've been in pain and that's the only thing that we know. And so if we have only known a life of struggle and pain, then guess what? We will actually create dysfunction to stay in that because that is what we're used to. We're comfortable there. We're not comfortable in the, uh, we, we have no idea what it feels like to not worry. We have no idea what it feels like to not be in lack. We have no idea what it feels like to be, um, to have our needs met. And in fact, it actually makes us uncomfortable when we are getting our needs met because it makes us feel guilty. There's a part of us that makes us feel unworthy when we're getting our needs met. So we'll actually somewhat reject it. This is why you see a girl that's in a really healthy relationship and she rejects it. It's a lot of times because she didn't feel worthy of the love uh, to begin with. So she'll destroy it. Um, same thing with the man. Uh, there's so many men that cannot accept love and these are people that can't receive love. Now there was definitely a time in my life where I totally know, knew how to receive love and um, but after being very hurt and wounded my post-traumatic stress kind of I had some repeated betrayal from close relationships in my life. Uh, some were family members, some were um, you know people that some were friends, some were, you know, just I had a lot of repeated betrayal. And when we have a lot of uh, betrayal, then our brain will reject love to stay safe. So it'll kind of shut it off and say, oh, and so it'll actually use anger. Anger is the best tool to avoid love. So if you see somebody who has a lot of anger issues or they're, they're kind of pushing you away, a lot of the times that's their own mechanism of actually trying to stay safe because love has not, uh, love has not felt safe to them for a very long time. So it's kind of, uh, trying to stay in that for that person. It's really hard because sometimes you feel like you're getting, um, beaten up by that person. And sometimes you do have to step away and let them deal with their own season of life. And, let them kind of meet their own needs and their own time and kind of wait for that relationship to come back. And a lot of times it will. And a lot of times uh, people just need that time. 
And that is, uh, sadly, what post-traumatic stress does to people. And it's not necessarily that this person's trying to deliberately be mean to you. It's that that person has been so hurt and so wounded that they now, their defense is against letting love in. So they cannot receive love. Um, and that is the saddest thing. And obviously there will be a ton of crisis that creates in our lives when we cannot receive love. Now I do believe that a lot of women carry this masculine energy of not receiving love. They know how to give love out, but they do not know how to receive. And I also believe men, you know, really have a hard time with receiving. They are really great about meeting other people's needs, but they do not know how to receive their own. In fact, men have a hard time even just asking for directions, uh, let alone let love in. So it's a, it's something that we all actually don't talk enough about is actually letting love in. But when we let love in, that is letting God's abundance in to our life. And a lot of us are totally blocking that. We're not even allowing it to manifest because we're still in that survival flight flight uh, mode of I got to stay safe. And we're trying to control our environment so much that we're missing out of the pie. And I have been, I mean, this has been me the last, I don't know, four years. And I'm slowly working. I'm slowly putting my guard down and kind of doing this podcast in a way is kind of like, I'm hoping it kind of helps me. The more vulnerable I get, the more open I hopefully will become to receive because I feel like, you know, it's, it's talking about our feelings and a lot of us don't want to talk about the messy parts and a lot of us don't want to talk about the dark parts of us and, and the parts that are broken. And, you know, sometimes life will break you and, you know, I definitely have gotten broken and I'm, I'm, working on repairing that, but I'm also working on it and looking at it on, wow, how can I take all of this that I have learned and gone through and make it into something beautiful? It doesn't have to be that old story any longer and bring it into the light. So I think that that's really cool and we allow these things to happen. And um, I think it's important that we look at too, you know, the, the parts in our relationships that aren't working. And, you know, some of us have great, great relationships where we're getting maybe like 70% of our needs met. We're getting the the adventure. We're getting money. We're getting good sex even. Uh, but maybe we're missing that vulnerability piece to it and that emotional piece. And there's that missing 30%. Well, when we have that missing piece, we're going to create crisis, right? We're going to start fighting. We're going to, you know, whatever. And if we kind of look at it, like looking at every time there is something like that, what are we missing? And then vice versa, there's that couple that is, you know, not, they, they're meeting each other's needs emotionally, but they're lacking the adventure. They're lacking the good sex and they're lacking, um, you know, they're lacking a whole other host of, of things. So it's tapping into that missing, you know, I guess what, that's what I want to make this podcast about is tapping in to the missing 70, uh, sorry, the missing 30% 
of your life to meet your needs. So maybe you're getting the 70%, maybe you've got your paycheck, you've got the job that's giving you the paycheck, but it doesn't really fulfill you. Um, or you've got the relationship that you're in and you know most of your needs are being met, but there's a big chunk that's not. So it's kind of like evaluating all of that and not to say not to be thankful for where your life is today. I do believe in a lot of gratitude and I believe that it's great to embrace that part and say thank you for everything that you do have. But it is to say, like, how can you slowly shift into stepping into these areas that you have neglected in yourself? And a lot of times it's not uh, to blame the per- the other person that's in your relationship. It's not to blame your husband or your spouse or your business partner why you're not getting this certain need. It's to say, where did I neglect that in me? Where did I neglect the parts of me that were adventurous? Where did I neglect the parts of me that, you know, were sexual? Or where did I neglect the parts in me that were... Um, you know, loving or where's the parts of me that I neglected being vulnerable? Where did I stop? What, what day did I stop to, and decided to not be vulnerable anymore and speak my needs? And where did I learn to not speak my needs? A lot of times, you know, we learn that way back to not ask for your needs to be met or we met that we felt that that was weakness to ask for our needs. And when did that start and how do we fix it and turn it around? So it is asking yourself a lot of good questions and kind of doing that inner work. So I hope this helps somebody. I don't know if it makes sense. Hopefully I am kind of rambling. It is hot. So I'm going to finally turn on my air conditioning and I hope this serves somebody out there. Well, talk to you later. Bye-bye.